Dub Talk podcast is not for kids, so send them to bed if you don't want them to hear swears and such. And there are spoilers for Samurai Shampoo, because you can't talk about a show without talking about it. And anything said here reflects the host who said it, not the podcast as a whole. So there. Ladies and gentlemen, or good morning. I have no idea what time of day you're listening to this. Uh, welcome to another episode of Dub Talk. We have gathered here today to celebrate a very special event. It's my birthday! Yay! Yay. One more day, year around the sun! Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> I'm feeling it. I bought you your 47th Lumberjack shirt. <laughs> oh, why thank you. I was starting to wonder. I was starting to worry I'd run out. You are now an adult! According to the Toronto bus fare thingamajig. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto Transit Authority says you qualify as an adult because you are no longer a child. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, and because it's my birthday, I got to pick what we do today. <laughs> so I figured, you know, what, what do we want to cover? Do we want to cover something, something new and, and white hot, something all the kids are talking about? And I thought... No, no, I am not hip. <laughs> I am not with it. I have never been with it. But I, I am with it, it's entirely by accident. By like, hey, there's a new comic in Shonen Jump called Chainsaw Man. That sounds like my kind of idiocy. I guess I'll start reading this. And then it accidentally became Phenomenon. And that's not the only time it ever happens. It, Just It really feels like a one in a million when you are actually with it. So or 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 my my the one previous to that it's like ah that barrage guy's got a new thing about superhero comics I should read that too. Uh, ahead of the curve for all the wrong reasons. Stumbling so your no, way into being there before it was cool by accident. I, I Jared, why are you enjoying the Steely Dan sons? I always liked Steely Dan. <laughs> I always thought they were cool. Y'all are the ones who thought Dan they didn't you wasn't like was cool before. Steely Dan was previously cool, and y'all decided they weren't, and now who's laughing? <laughs> Anyways, I'm happy to be cel celebrating pseudo-dub-talked dad birthday. <laughs> Thank you. To which, I know there is the actual dad right next to us, but I'm gonna be real, Amon, you have more dad energy than the actual dad here. My sense of no, humor is probably worse, that's true. I don't take insults to that. That's, that's entirely accurate. There is... There is actual dad, there's biological dad, and then there's dad energy, which comes even if you haven't procreated. Our good buddy Amon here radiates that in full force. Not the least of which the beard, the music taste, the uh, it's like cool to hang out with and drink a beer with. All of those things are the dad energy. We'll, we'll accidentally recreate that one tweet about uh, your dad listening to Steely Dan and saying nothing but talent with one of my actual children one day. I look forward to it. Yeah, me too. So what are we covering? Well, you probably know already. You clicked on the episode. But in case you weren't paying attention, uh, we're going back to an old, old favorite of mine from when I was young. I guess I've been like 15 or something. Uh, like many people my age... I got a lot of my anime through Adult Swim because I was not—I could not be bothered to figure out all this torrenting nonsense. And 
the video store near my house didn't carry a lot of anime, at least not that I noticed, so I watched what was on TV. And Adult Swim was great. But I got better in 2005 when they started showing a show called Samurai Shampoo, which was great, in part because it is great, and also because uh, even at the time it was like, oh, this is going to be special, isn't it? This this feels different. This this feels out of step with all the other things, but in a good way. So we're going to talk which about that today. I, I, it, it's kind of odd because it's, mm -hmm. it, it's set in, you know, uh, older Japan, which they had a couple shows like that. You know, they had... Um, uh, um, sorry, I'm just blanking. Uh, Rurouni Kenshin. They had, uh, mm -hmm. you could argue in Yuasha, I guess. Uh, there's, yeah, there was a, a precedent for older setting of shows. But you are right, this felt like a very different kind of set in older Japan time period kind of anime. I would just, well, the first I feel like uh -huh. if you were to describe, pitch Samurai Shampoo, is that this effectively was like... Feudal Japan hip hop fusion series, and to say that this was kind of an influential series is sort of an understatement. I mean, I think you can point that in a lot of ways. Like, I I actually remember part of the reason it stood out at the time was like anime did not have rapping in it. That was that was not a musical genre that existed in like the anime world. Uh, and then you cut to now, where, like, Lost in Paradise was probably one of the biggest, like, OP slash ED songs the last few years, and that is just a rap song. Don't forget Devilman Crybaby, where there was just that one guy, Keith Silverstein, playing, I, uh, that just did, like, a straight-up, like, rap first. They, they were, they were, it's, the show was very ahead of the curve in understanding that, like, no, there is an actual mainstream audience for rap music in anime fans. I, like, I'd probably argue that, like, a lot yeah. of, like... You could probably say, like, a lot of, like, influence of, like, modern hip-hop stuff is, like, a lot of those people are probably, like, weeaboos and we're into shit like this. Andrew, I mean, absolutely, absolutely astounded. People, people who were into rap in the early days were the exact same people who were going to pay to watch kung fu movies a few years earlier. I'm sure, like, look, why, why... Why does why is the Wu Tang Clan called that? Because the Rizza owned a video store and had a shit ton of martial arts movies, and the step from that to anime is not very big. But yeah, Shampoo. Shampoo. Also, uh, before we continue, and I tell you what Samurai Shampoo is about, in case you're young and don't know what we're talking about, perhaps you're wondering what does Shampoo mean? That is not a word, is it? It is a word. It's an Okinawa word that means mixed up or stirred together, which if you've seen the show, I'm sure you can piece together why it's called that. Oh, huh. So, I actually did not know what shampoo meant, actually, now that I think about it. I mean, I think I think I had looked it up periodically and then immediately forgotten, because that is not a word I know in any other context, since I am not from Okinawa. So, samurai shampoo something. is literal. So, it literally means samurai fusion, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, that checks out a lot. Yep. Sorry, are you saying something, Patrick? Oh, I I had figured the word shampoo meant something, but I had just never thought to look into it. Yeah, thank you, Urban Dictionary. <laughs> but what is this show about? Well, let's tell you. From ANN, Mugen is a fierce animal-like warrior with unique with the unique b-boying breakdancing inspired fighting style. Jin has a more traditional style that doesn't think of this as a weakness because his skills are amazing. The two could. Uh, this is a terrible summary. Uh, <laughs> contrasting samurai warriors are 
This is awful. Give me. It's a always It's always fun when you look up a quick summary. You start reading it live on air, and you're like, "Oh no, this sucks." <laughs> this is trash. Uh, wait, hold on. I have the DVD over here. What the fuck am I that, doing? That that would help. <laughs> all right. It's like '86 all over oh, again, where oh, they got Shin's oh, name, Shun's name wrong, and it was like shit. Okay, this is much better. From the Funimation release, let's break it down. Mugen's a reckless sword slinger with a style that's more b-boy than Shaolin. He's got a nasty streak that makes people want to stick a knife in his throat. Then there's Jin, a deadbeat ronin who speaks softly but carries a big blade. He runs games old school style, but he can make your blood spray with the quickness. When these roughnecks bring the ruckus, it ain't good for anybody, especially them. Enter Fu, the ditzy waitress who springs her new friends from a deadly jam. All she wants in return is help solving a riddle from her past. She and the boys are Tracking the scent, but there's 99 ways to die between them and the Sunflower Samurai. Okay, that is a much better summary. I I hope that copywriter is still in the business, and I hope they got a raise for that. That absolutely. That's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty good. (laughs) We we salute you, anonymous copywriter. (laughs) Oh. Yes, as we were saying, there is there is Mugen, there is Jin, there is Fu, and they are on a quest to find a samurai who smells of sunflowers. This will take them all across Edo-era Japan. They will get into astonishing shenanigans, ranging from the deeply tragic and personal to the absolutely stupefying and absurd. It will be amazing, it will be exciting, it will be horrifying. It will be everything. Look. That samurai shampoo. This show goes from... You know, very dramatic stories about women being sold into brothels. And then you've got the mushroom episode, the baseball episode, the tagging episode, the revolutionary wanted... field of grass that ends up being marijuana episode. <laughs> uh, was it marijuana it, or opium? I wasn't sure. It's marijuana. It was marijuana. <laughs> okay. It, they have a close up on what the plant looks like. It's marijuana. Kids, have you ever wanted to hear Tony Oliver rap? <laughs> then we have a show for you. I want to meet the, oh, the two people who have said that in their life, unironically. One of them was probably Tony Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But, but let's 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 talk about who worked on this episode so we can talk about sorry, who worked on this show so we can talk about the show. Now, normally, we'll give you the cast. However, Samurai Shampoo's pretty episodic. Outside of the three leads we're about to talk about, there is, like, one dude who shows up in a non like, in multiple times in a non-consecutive episode. And you forget he's there most of the time. I, I, ne- I never forget about, uh, what the fuck's his name? I never forget about Monzo the Saw. He's I, my I fourth lo- favorite character. Okay, can I just say, I love you're like, I can never forget, oh, what's his name again? <laughs> just, just I to get absolutely right. defeated your point. <laughs> I can never remember. Look, I don't look. I look. Do I remember his name all the time? Maybe not. Do I remember? I'm an American Yankee Doodle. You bet your fucking ass I do. (laughs) Monzo the Saw. That's what you're thinking. Monzo the Saw. Anyways, so we are not going to give you a full cast breakdown because that is like no, uh, that's too much. (laughs) We're gonna we're gonna tell you. We're gonna give you our 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 crew we're gonna give you our three leads and we do have a little cast list that i wrote up so we can refer to people as necessary but other than that we are not gonna give you the full breakdown you can go to ann and figure that out yourself if you need to 
Uh, or better yet, just watch the show. Or just listen to us uh, ramble for a bit. We'll probably mention some in passing. That too. So, for our ADR staff, uh, we have our director, Eric P. Sherman. Uh, who's done quite a bit of work that I quite like. He is the director for Last Exile. He's directed The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. He directed Witch Hunter Robin. He also directed Apocalypse Zero, which means he's a true gentleman because he helped give us that dub. Yes. A fine, fine connoisseur of superb taste. Absolutely. Uh, and we also have scriptwriters. We, in fact, have three scriptwriters. Uh, first off, we have Tom Weiner. He wrote episodes one through five, and you know him for such work as Great Teacher Onizuka, Zillion, and apparently he wrote the Galactic Patrol Lensman dub, oh, which, alright. Sure. That, that's, okay. that's, that's a dub I would love to cover that um, we are probably never going to be in position to, but we, we hey, whatever. To find it. We have to find the Lensman dub. We can, you can find it. It's not hard. It's out there. It's just not legally not... available. I love doing episodes with you guys because suddenly I feel way younger than I actually am. <laughs> Alright. I got, gotta find that. that Let's that. get the Wu-Tang Clan. Let's get Bill Murray. We're gonna go steal the Lensman dub. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, we, don't, we don't have to steal the Lensman dub. We have to have someone be in control of Lensman that isn't E.E. E. Doc Smith's, like, cranky daughter. <laughs> Look, look, all you... As far as I know, it's her. She's the only reason this isn't around. Look, all you have to do is just... All you have to do is just, like, mail to discotheque, like, 30 trash bags full of floppy disks, and then they'll manage to make a full, <laughs> like, articulate, masterful Blu-ray out of it. Might be going a little overboard. Am I? I guess you, you you are correct, but that seems a little cruel. I do like the people who work. No, no, no. I'm not making fun of discotech or saying they're bad. No, I'm no. Literally... I mean, they will do a good job and kill themselves in the process. It will be very oh, tragic. Yes. Look, when they told me that they got the entirety of, like, uh, what was that Disney show that they got recently? Uh, Moncoli Mon Nights. Nights, where they got the entirety of the Moncoli Nights dub in like 64 like USB drives. I was like, okay, you, how how? <laughs> some some people are not good at this, Andrew. <laughs> Anywho, off track. Weiner. No, back on track. Yeah, we we. I'm not going to make any promises about how much we are or aren't going to derail this episode. I respect you, audience, too much to potentially lie to your face like that. So, back on track. Next script writer. Uh, uh, well, basically, I'll just talk about both together. Uh, Tom Weiner wrote the first five, and after that, the series was written by Kirk Thornton and Christy Reed. Kirk did episodes six and seven, Christy did episode eight, and they both did episodes nine to twenty-six. Uh, Kirk Thornton, who's been around for a real long time, has also directed a bunch of old stuff on TV that only I like or remember. Like Duel, Parallel Trouble Adventures, Gadguard, and S. Cryed. And uh, Christie's done slightly more respectable things, like Bludgeoning Angel Doroko-chan, Dra-da-da, and Last you, Exile. I'm so glad you lumped in Bludgeoning Angel Doroko-chan like with the ra ra seen... Like, those are two equally respectable series. Christie's also, also gone on. Hilarious mouthful to say. Absolutely, that they are. Christie's also since has gone on to like voice direct a bunch of prolific like animated cartoons of the past like decade. Mm-hmm. Yep, she's no slouch. Uh, but and uh, we have our three leads. We have Mugen. We have Jin. We have Fu. Mugen 
is being played by Daniel Andrews, who has not done a lot else. <laughs> That's mostly because Daniel Andrews is not a real person. Daniel Andrews is just Stephen Bloom under a different pseudonym that isn't David Lucas. I feel like... Why? I have no idea. I, like, that was the thing That was the thing that caught me off guard. It was like, wait, I thought his alias was David Lucas. Like, yeah. that's what we talked about when we did show bits. The, the best I've been able to scrape together is that it sounds like he 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 got he was he got into the union around now, and I'm wondering if this is a pseudonym he just cooked up for like things he had recorded before he was union, but now might get him in trouble now that he is union. Ah, but that like no idea that is just an arbitrary guess based on nothing. I'm not like you'd have to ask him himself, frankly. Uh, oh yeah, he. Oh, do I, I need to listen to Bloom rolls? Um. No, just no, like no, like I, I have some. Just do I need to? Like, do I need? To I would say yes because sometimes there are people that are still surprised to find out he played so and so. I still remember, like several years ago, the abject shock of having to explain what Steve Bloom had done to Gigi in the past. <laughs> I mean, let's also well, not forget to... we've got an entire audience of baby weebs. That's a fair point. Well, in addition to the things you've probably heard of, like Spike Spiegel and Cowboy Bebop, Roger Smith and Big O, etc., he is Onizuka and great teacher Onizuka. He's the laughing man in Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. Also, thing I didn't know, there's a dub for the Mobile Suit Gundam movie trilogy. He's Char in that oh, thing. Oh, yeah. What? I've heard that dub's not very good, or at least just hard to get, but he's looking Char, which I feel like is a plot point. I feel like that should get brought up more often. Mm. I, I never yeah, would have. I never associate him with Char. Dubs are not very good. I think they were produced before is... the show. That sounds right. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard like they are. They are. I believe not on the current Blu-ray, but there's also a general sense of like this is not really a great loss, frankly. Well, which not which now I... I think like the common modern English voice of Char Osnabol is Keith Silverstein yep. as of Gundam: The Origin. Which he also which, he also know, plays the like one of the main villains in Persona Five, which I'm sure your girlfriend would have been able to pick out and not you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what does Keith Silverstein sound like? I don't know, a guy. He sounds like a. Uh, he's like I, a I, 40s probably. I, I'm like busting I'm I'm busting I'm busting Amon's chops because he told us on recording that his girlfriend Natasha is actually better at picking out voices than he is a seasoned veteran of the Dub Talk podcast. Look, look, I'm gonna I'm a be real with you. This whole, like, when we used to do the predictive voice actor thing, I hated that. I was bad at it. It brought me no joy. <laughs> I was so happy Aww. we stopped doing it. Same thing. It's like, I'm not, it's not a skill I have. Ask me to pick out, like, who's singing on this. It's like, ah, it's clearly Peter Gabriel. I don't know why you're asking me this question. So he, that I can do for some reason. I don't know Your why. talents are elsewhere. Gotcha. Exactly. Anyways, Jin. Uh, Mugen, as we spoke, as we mentioned earlier, he's the rough and tumble guy. He looks like a raving animal in the opening. It's great. Jin's the cool, calm, and collected guy. He has glasses. He pulls his hair back in a ponytail. He's the blue Oni to Mugen's red Oni. Mm. Uh, and he is being played by Kirk Thornton, uh, who's also had a comically long and illustrious career. When I looked up his credits on ANN, it was like, how am I going to pick three out of this? Uh, so I decided I was going to go with, he's Cyborg 002 and Cyborg 009, the Cyborg Soldier. That's the 2001 series that Discotech re-released recently. Mm -hmm. uh, he plays uh, Baptistan in Gankotso, the Count of Monte Cristo. 
And in things Amon probably knew but forgot, he's been Gabumon across a pretty consistent amount of the Digimon series, which... Also being... What does, Kirk, what does Kirk Thornton actually sound like? Because whenever I see him in a role and then see his face, it's like, that's not a voice that comes That's not a voice that comes out of that face. What do you sound like in real life? There's probably... I can't conceive There of are it. probably, like, actual Kirk Thornton voice roles. I just can't think of any off the tip of my tongue. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's like, Gene sounds like a real person, but I hear when Gene talks, I look at Kirk Thornton's face, and it's like, that's not your real voice, is it? That's like he's a You've had me stumped, sir. <laughs> look, you. No, I'm sorry. I'm getting flashbacks to uh, to the Icon episode you just did, and the, the question about, what does Mona Marshall even sound like? Because you, look, you listen to the voice, and then you look at the face, and you're like, that doesn't sound like your normal speaking voice. What is your training yeah. regimen, Kirk Thornton? Tell us your secrets. This, this, of course, is probably a very easy question to answer. I'm sure he's done an interview at some point in the, like, what, what now, 30-plus years he's been an actor. Like, Also, despite being the blue Oni, he's actually Shadow the Hedgehog. Thanks for that flashback. Are you having fun Are you having fun with me right now? Tremendous fun. Thank you for All asking. All right, good. I'm All sure. right, I wanted to be, because I'm not, I'm... I don't fall, Sonic. I don't know who the current voice cast is outside Mike Pollock and Connie O'Shaughnessy. You can tell me anything right now, and I believe you. Like, <laughs> don't lie to me, but you could do it, and I would not check until after the episode. You get a good, like, two hours full of me. Bryce Pappenbrook is now Silver the Hedgehog. See, that sounds plausible. That's not helpful. You know what? I'll I'll look into this later. <laughs> Later. Are you, are, you Let's me, are you telling me a Sonic X episode is on the horizon? Oh, God. that's an entirely yeah, just, different have, cast, Noah. But you won't know that. Shut up. That I do know. That as I do know that aside from Mike Pollock, there's a big cast change up in the two th- 2010s. I do know that. Fair enough. Don't know. Don't know who's in it. Just know it happened. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and we have Fu. Our our plucky ingenue heroine she's doing her best she cannot believe that she agreed to go along with these idiots I mean, she, she loves them anyways though kind of the the inciting incident that got them to go on this journey like it's all good fun until they abandoned her to go hang out in the red light district that she is not allowed into <laughs> which you, you know like like yay for not representing the lesbians back in the edo period like come on people <laughs> That's that's the trouble, you know. You, you know. And I th- I thought Japan was country that celebrated gay love. We'll we'll get to that. Only between men. We'll get to that. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, Fu is being played by Car- Carrie Walgren. Uh, Carrie's also done a. In retrospect, this is this is an astonishing lead cast to have for the show. Mm. Like Jesus Christ. Uh, even at the time, it was great, and as time goes on, it's just like, wow, okay. Uh, Kari, who's done a billion things, uh, some favorites of mine. She is what? No, it's you're right. She's been in a billion things. Like Kurt Thornton, it's like, how do I even narrow it down? Exactly. It's just like I, it's, it's too much here. Anyways, uh, some favorites of mine. She's Selty Sturlson and da da da. She's uh, Anemone in Eureka Seven, and of course, near and dear to my heart, the first thing I ever heard her in. She is uh, Haruhara Haruko in Fulukui. And, like, nowadays, she's, like, like, every Western cartoon under the sun. Good for her. So, like, the weirdest thing, the weirdest thing about, like, watching Champloo for this 
for this episode, and then turning on, like, Adult Swim for five minutes was going from foo to hearing her play Jessica in Rick and Morty literally right after was kind of wild. Remind me, which one's Jessica? Jessica is the redhead girl Morty's got a crush on. Oh, dear. She's looking for that the warm, comfy boyfriend. That does sound like the character you cast Carrie Walgren in, though, so good for them. And good for her for work, I guess. She's a talented actress. Um, anyways, there are also... Every single episode of this Switch, there are 26 episodes, everyone basically has its own small cast. There are some repeat names, there are some not. We're not going to list all of them. I will give kudos to Monzo the Saw for being the only guy who does who shows up more than once in something that isn't a two-parter. He's played by Michael McConaughey. He's great. We'll talk about him later. Uh, but gentlemen, let's start with our leads. Give me give me your thoughts here. All right. So fuck this dub talk discussion. Let's ask the important <laughs> questions. Is Mugen a virgin? Yes or no? Oh, absolutely. No. No. Uh, what? Okay. I don't, I don't, this. I don't, I don't know. Because... I, I, I'm with Patrick on this one. Patrick, thank you for having my back, brother. I, sorry. I don't know, only because... Can't join you under that umbrella. It, it, mostly because his, it, okay, his whole, he's been off of his island doing his own thing for many years. I can't fathom that he hasn't gotten with a woman at this point he, I, yes i know like no part in the series it, does he hook up with any of the prostitutes he hangs out with but still i have to imagine before this all happened he got lucky at least once he I, he I, doesn't have he he doesn't he carries himself like somebody who hasn't gotten laid before you think do you think all that rage is just pent-up sexual frustration I think it's at least a factor. I, I, I'm disagreeing only because he comes off... We've seen in episodes that he he has some smooth moves, even if he is not good at actually carrying them through. I mean, look. He's basically like Lupin. He pops out of his spring-loaded robes and hits the floor post. God, he he God, when he's when he's fighting with that uh what he's literally like fighting with that one secret police woman that is played by Fujiko Mine, that analogy works way better than it should, yeah. I mean, I mean, like I'm definitely in that episode I was like, oh, there is a lot of Lupin and Mugen, isn't there? Huh? I noticed that. He like it never occurred to me, but yeah, Lupin like, I just, I just don't believe that, I don't believe that Mugen has fucked once in his entire life. I, I, I believe he has had sex, that doesn't mean he's good at it. He's got an, he's got, I believe he's gotten a back alley handy, but that's it. <laughs> this this is in contrast to this is in contrast to Jin, who has clearly been laid frequently. He has been that, laid so several good. times in the show, including in that same that. episode with two women at once, to the point where he's like, "Ah, oh, fuck my back." No, 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 no. Four, <laughs> four women. Take a look at the screen again. He does four oh. at the same time. God, yeah. What a what a what Fuck a. Him. <laughs> Anyways, thank you for stallion. coming to Dub Talk Podcast, the latest and greatest in talking about sophisticated conversation. But by the way, just just off of that topic, has Steve Bloom ever played Lupin? I don't think he has. <coughs> I don't believe so. No, no. I think yeah. it's strictly been. I think Kirk. No, not Kirk. Keith. No, it was no, Keith no. Olsen. Tony. 
No. Fuck. Shit. You're, you're just doing a who's on first base, wasn't it? Anyways, there's a lot of people who have played Lupin. I don't believe Steve Bloom has ever been a Lupin. Or a, okay. No. So, I guess to actually go into Steve... So, the obvious point of comparison is Shinichiro Watanabe's other TV show, Cowboy Bebop. Terror in, in Residence. Not where I'm going with this, but thank you for mentioning Terror in Residence. Um, so, Spike Spiegel is cool, suave, he's got a dark, mysterious path, but he's got that sort of, like... Cool guy, suave, macho guy, but also a little silly and goofy. But he's got swagger. He's got cool guy factor, which is fascinating bouncing that off of Mugen. Because Mugen is just... He is the exact opposite. Mugen is just primal id. He is desire. He is... The funniest thing is he's almost got he's almost got some like shonen hero energy where he's like I just want to beat the toughest strongest guy out there and it's like oh no you are just a wild animal of desires which is interesting he wants to, because he wants I, to I eat to... he wants to fight and he wants to fuck Did any of you guys watch uh the any of the Japanese audio for Mugen's voice I have not actually a not, long not time ago, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen. I've seen it in Japanese, but not not recently. Do tell. Okay, so the uh, so the the tell for Steve Bloom is that he's he's got a cool voice. Um, this persona here gives an air of confidence to Mugen's voice. The Japanese voice, it kind of sounds like he's uh, he's resigned himself to death almost because it's a lot lower. It's a lot growlier. It does match the animalistic nature of it. So when he's, like, telling people, uh, you know, cuss this and cuss that, or throwing hands down with the sword, it makes sense. But in the more serious moments, when he's kind of laying his emotions or actually being, uh, you know, a human being, you get, like, the sense of, like, droll, um, very deep thought that uh, is not really conveyed in the same way that Steve portrays him. Because Steve keeps that cool voice in him, almost like... He doesn't know anything, and like we know, he doesn't know how to write. But he does have a bit more uh, depth to him, and we see this in uh, sessions like not not sessions. This is in Cowboy Bebop uh, episodes like the the misguided mi- miscreants records, they, you know, records. Uh, That's what yes, this is. This isn't session. This is records. You're right. The the rec- uh, actually, I almost call it like a, a track, uh, like track seventeen, or whatever episode that was. No, it was thirteen. That's what it was. So the, the reason I bring it up is because the the voice that Steve gives him is is I feel it's very different from the Japanese is that the Japanese was more on the uh you know the animalistic resigned to his fate side of things whereas Steve is enjoying it way more it's like he's relishing in uh women wine and good food. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, I can. But that can that actually that. is pretty interesting. So yeah. Um. So yeah, there's a lot of fun episodes with Mugen in particular, but I'd honestly say, like, interestingly enough, he has a lot of fun stuff in the side episodes. It actually seems like in his own past episode, he's 
interestingly enough, a lot more quiet and, like, keeps to himself for compared to, like, every other episode. When it comes to his dark past, it's a lot more, like, keeps to himself because this is a place in life he really wanted to leave behind. But how do you think Steve handles that? I think he does a good job handling the quieter, almost, like, fright like frighted to slip back into a dark place he doesn't want to be in but i think he does a good job selling that as well as also kind of like nearing death he does a good job when he's like on the verge of death in that sequence which was like a really gorgeously animated sequence by the way hmm you talking about in the... Oh, with, like, the, oh, with like, the mass figures? Like the last episode episodes. with the birds? No, it's not just the final episode. It's, like, when they're talking... When they go to Ryugyu Island, and he's confronting, like, his old buds again. Oh, with the, the like, the procession of other warriors, and he's like, Hey, I'm not ready yet. Pretty much. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, that was, that was the same one. Which, uh, I think that episode... Uh, some other fun characters they'll mention. Uh, Koza, played by Stephanie Shea, who was, like, his childhood friend who... It almost seemed like she was trying to make a move, and he just had no interest at all. Now, see, she was the Pretty real Fujiko. Uh, um, um, yeah. Yeah. To the, yeah. That, Man, okay. I forgot who plays her brother. I forgot who plays her bro. That is that is uh, Kim Strauss. Kim Strauss? No, Kim Strauss. Huh. Has he done anything else we would have heard of? Because I wanted to. Uh, let me let me let me go to one moment. <laughs> go to IMDb. Memento. I'm yeah yeah I'm not actually familiar who he was, but yeah he sounded pretty cool, pretty cool. It was also very funny watching this where it's like it's very clear this is has a lot of hip hop influences because he is just doing the sideways gun thing with a revolver. <laughs> that was funny. That that was the second best part. You know what the best part was? What? We're gonna do we're gonna do a car race and whoever breaks first is the loser. Oh yeah, it's the horse. Cars. So what do we do? <laughs> horses we just we just play kill a, two play horses. Played a game of fucking chicken on a horse. <laughs> Those fucking poor horses. The they poor you didn't horses. do anything to them. That dude deserved to get off at least. Which man. I think Does the end of... <laughs> Fair enough. But I think the end of that two-parter is, like, probably, like, one of the rawest moments in that entire show. It is It is so fucking brutal. And Which, it, like... Held in Stephanie's line, that the last line of that episode is, like, I think that's the part where I remembered most about, oh, yeah, this, this was written by the same team who did Bebop, because it can get to you. It's not just goofy... Hip hop meets. Uh, no, that one was hard. That one went hard. hard. And also, just fucking. Um, Amon, I'm honestly amazed you have gone this long without mentioning the people who worked on the music of this show. Uh, that 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 comes at the end. <laughs> Dude, okay, you, you can talk. You can talk now. We can we can talk about them. I just I have a spiel at the end. But by all means, let's. Because yeah, it was Nujibus, Fat John. Forces of Nature, and I think one more? Yes, Suchi. Uh, Suchi, that's what name? it was. Suchi, yeah. Which, like, so many of the tracks in this, like, I 
In recent years, I've gotten a lot more hooked on listening to Nujabes' discography, especially at work. It's just great, great music to zone out to. And Look, just there is a my... reason his music was basically the um, the backdrop of the um, the anime girl studying at her desk videos. Mm. Really? Yeah, that's, that's not a coincidence. It is not a coincidence, for sure, but it's... His music is iconic for sure, and like I've gotten really into his stuff. And God, hearing some of the tracks I recognize and have listened to at work in Shampoo in their context is just delightful. Like, like, like I think Arurian dance in particular is kind of like the go-to. I need to do homework or mundane tasks and just have something peaceful and nice on in the background. But there's a couple of other bangers in there where it's just like, oh, this is so good. Yeah, and I think Oh, where was I going with this? Oh, <laughs> oh where were you going? <laughs> oh, I was going to talk about Million Ways of Drum. That was cuz that was the end of that fucking episode where like oh, this that's what that track was called. Million Ways of Drum goes so hard and they only use it two times in the entire show and whatever they mm. they use it, you know shit's getting like fucking real. Mm. Mhm. Cuz the other time they used it was the end of the duel with uh Sarah uh, played by the wonderful Megan Ho- M- Megan Hollandhead, which man, those episodes were great and hurt. The uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was another one where it, it, again that that felt like the um. I, I know it's not fair to make Cowboy Bebop comparisons to everything here because they 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 have separate staff, but it's really tempting to consider the those episodes, the Lullabies of the Lost Verse episodes, like the Pierre LeFou in this universe, just that one badass boss that you don't think you're gonna come back from alive she is way hotter than Piero Lafau, just saying <laughs> honestly I feel well, like a better comparison to Piero Lafau is um, episode 10 lethal lunacy and show to you uh, oh yeah by Jeffrey Stackhouse is that who that was okay uh, that's a mm-hmm. good point yeah no that that oh, is oh. a good comparison too which oh. we got an airbender in this show Oh, since, since you asked, um, Makoro's actor Kim Strauss, uh, looking, he hasn't done too too much. Uh, the one that the one that leaps out is he's Sajin in Bleach, the like dog-headed guy. Oh, uh, he's also I he's in he's been a bunch of people in Naruto. I think Ibiki Morino is like maybe the one that I vaguely recognize as like that's a face I've seen somewhere. I'm not. Ibiki recently enough to know who that oh, is. Oh, that's he's got a bunch of scars on his oh, face. Oh, he's the dude when they were taking the ninja tests, and then he was like, "Yo, no fucking cheating." And then he's like, "Wait, <laughs> you're all you were all supposed to cheat, and I wasn't supposed to catch it, idiots. You're ninjas, <laughs> dummy." <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Steve Bloom as Mugen is very interesting, just because he's got a very He's got, he's very much a wild animal running on instinct. And I'll say this, he says some crass and wild shit, but I didn't even think a 2005 era dub would have him calling somebody a pussy in the last episode. That one surprised me. Would you believe that the they- jo- The joys of being broadcast off to the watershed. Would you believe that they actually toned it down a little bit from the from the Japanese? Really? Really? <laughs> not not continuously. Like there's uh, there, there's a couple lines where I noted where it's like, okay, they clearly softened up uh, not the way he says things, but just kind of the words. Uh, in the what was it here? In episode two, 
uh, right when they, they kind of abandoned Fu for the first time. Um, in the dub, he says, um, uh, we should have just, uh, what was it? He said something like, uh, we should have just stripped and left her there, or something like that, which isn't very nice. But he does say in the Japanese, we should have just raped and left her. And I'm like, mm, Whoa! Really? really? Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, go back and watch it with the subtitles on it. It's like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it's best we, we, t we soften up just, just a tiny little bit. Man! I, I know it's episode two, and, you know, they, they haven't really gotten to know each other. They haven't become the friends or the treasure that we made along the way just yet. But, yeah, th there's a couple of parts where they softened it up just a tiny bit in the dub. I'll be real. Oh I feel like they... Mugen was a bigger asshole than I remembered him. A bit. Mugen's a dirtbag. You, you get to like him, but he's very clearly supposed to be just a big old... Uh, he's a dirtbag. I guess I'm just surprised, like, I guess of the two, Fu found him more favorable. Because I'm like, wow, even as far as, like, Sundere acts go, no, this this dude's kind of a dirtbag. He... he, he... I, I think of, I don't remember which episode it's in, but there's an episode where they're walking along and he is, like, talking to two women, and he is actually doing a pretty good job of charming with, it's in the, uh, it's the Okura episode. Yeah. He's, he's actually doing a pretty good job of charming with them. Like, Mugen is not free of charisma, it's just he's kind of a stupid jackass at the same he's time. He's not good. And tends to be his own worst he enemy. He is his own worst enemy, but I, I feel they do a good job at least when they go into his past basically being like, oh yeah. He was part of a community of banished criminals that just were forced to live on their own and had kids, and he was one of those kids. He was sent to, to Australia, which, basically. That's not where I was going with this, but that's fair. I was just thinking it was very interesting because... So, like, y'all know what a black-coated character is, right? Yeah. Yes. We're all in agreement that... That is 100% what Mugen is, right? Oh yeah, undeniably. I could see it. I no, just... It, not, not... not even up to question. Like, they wanted influence of an African-American culture, and the closest they could get without actually making Afro Samurai was Mugen's character. Anyways, I bring that up because I find it fascinating that, like, him and, like, his childhood friends were basically kids forced to grow up in a ghetto. That felt like, very intentional. It felt very yeah. intentional. when I, I, I didn't even pick up on that when I first saw this years ago, and I was just like, oh. Oh. Wow. Huh. It's fitting for the time period it's set, too, because like you, you guys know what the, the Edo period, like the defining characteristics of that time period were, right? Vaguely? Was that, was that, I mean, was that, was that the period where they were like, we are going to close off, like, just foreign influence of any kind? Yes. Which is why you get the whole, like, like, ah, Christians, we need to persecute that. Can't have that running yeah, around. Yeah, that was a yeah. bigger story arc, too. Wow. Yeah, that, that whole era was, it was, it was very much, uh, na nationalistic in the, no, we are Japan, and that is all we are. We're gonna cut off as much influence from the outside world as possible, which is funny because, you know, you see a lot of influence from the West is starting to creep in, and people are kind of happy with it. The government's not happy with it. I, but the reason mm. I bring it up is because the, uh, there's a lot of episodes that focus on, uh, you know, 
disenfranchise people who aren't really being taken care of by the government. And that's kind of because of that whole nationalistic mentality. It's like, we will not treat the natives very well. We will not treat uh, just average citizens or criminals very well, or people with uh, disabilities. And so you see a lot of characters who fight back because they're not being treated well by a culture that's trying to be very isol isolationist in this time period. And it, it does feel like a very fascinating counterculture argument of literally making the Edo period and painting it where there is influences from cultures all across the world in the entirety mm -hmm. of Champloo, which I think that's pretty, pretty mm -hmm. freaking cool. Oh, yeah. Also, also yeah, the, uh... you, you've, you almost made it sound political. I'm impressed. I thought there were no politics in uh, Japanese media at all. <laughs> oh, it's, you're absolutely right. There, there's no uh, gay characters. There's no politics. It's just unwashed, based cartoons. Politics and anime? Yep. What makes you say that? I, I, I hate getting in fights with people on Twitter about that. I should stop doing that. Man, there wasn't... A, it's like there wasn't a gay man from Holland who traveled to this country to <laughs> express himself in a loving, uh, homosexually open culture that wasn't allowed in his own country. Or there wasn't a grifting man that was taking advantage of persecuted Christians and taking advantage of their religion to fund their own lavish boorish lifestyle to make money off of them these sandals cost 20,000 ru now see this is two individuals two famous people so it cost me a butt ton of money <laughs> but man yeah though this, this show goes a lot harder than i remember like there's a lot of things about this show i really forgot so this was a kind of brilliant uh one also shout out to paul st peter and lex lang as uh Isaac from uh, Holland and Xavier the Third as Lex Lang, which man, that dude was a dirtbag. Oh yeah, <laughs> which um, he was. coming back around to Paul St. Peter, um, another great interaction I really love with Mugen is um, toward the end of the show. I'm trying to dig up the episode again. Yeah, see, um. It's a tagging episode, but I like. I love. Oh, was uh, he the teacher? The words. Yeah, with was um, he with the teacher? Bundai, the teacher. Oh man, <laughs> the tagging episode was one I really liked a lot more than I remembered it. That was easily Daisato's best episode in the show. Way better than Cosmic Collisions. All right, Which, screw. That. I don't so, want to spend. So, much time sorry, didn't mean to inter didn't mean to interrupt you there, Patrick. Oh no, you're good. Um. But I, I, I just love, like, Mugen is very much a, an unstoppable force throughout the show. And he finally meets just this absolute brick wall that will not take his shit. In the form of Bundai. It, it's a very delightful... It's a very delightful interaction, the likes of which you really don't see repeated again with him. No. Mm. But that whole episode is just, like, particularly with Mugen's arc, there's another sub-arc with Gene. Um, but it's just, like, these two absolutely stubborn, belligerent forces trying to... And, and not, like, in a physical fight sense. You get plenty of that in the earlier episodes, but it's just this... This intellectual battle 
between two absolutely stubborn people trying to... Like, one trying to teach the other how to read, and the other trying to stubbornly resist it. It's great. An absolute delight. Which, in that same episode, is actually pretty interesting seeing... This probably would be a good time to start cycling a little to Gene. Yeah. Uh, actually, seeing Gene mm -hmm. kind of in a mentor role, which, like, most of the time he was kind of like the guy who was just sort of himself, but he had a master who wanted him to take care of his kids, so he's actually kind of dear to these basic, these kids that are basically look like a bunch of thugs that are trying to jet set radio oh, the entire town. And it was kind of an interesting dynamic to see with Gene. And Gene is a much more stoic character, but he has some really... He has some great episodes. Probably, like, some of my favorite ones in the show. Let me like, guess nice where you're about to be going with this. I want to see if you can guess where I'm going with this. Is it the one with the, um, with the prostitute he... Seems like he's falling love in love with, but I I feel like it's more of a friend thing. Uh, that is probably one of my favorite episodes, yes. That is a really good that is a really good episode, with, um, and I think with Julianne Taylor as the uh, as the prostitute Shino. Is that who that was? Yeah, okay. it's the one we're what? thinking of. It's the one with the Unholy um Union? with the subplot of yep. Mugen and the no, Beetle, the, uh... right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think I was mistaking with Osuzu, which was a whole other uh, arc, but a similar thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, no, Julianne Taylor also was, like, really good, too, in that bit episode. And I liked the interesting dynamic of Gene being kind of challenged by somebody a little quirky, but somebody he really did bond and hold dear to somebody who's trying to find, like, her trying to live her life despite being burdened by the misfortunes of a deadbeat husband. Which, and also, I feel God, like... I, I don't remember what the song husband. was. I don't remember what the song was, but I think the song at the end of that episode was probably, like, one of my favorite insert songs in this whole watch. It was it was great. I believe... Uh, let me... S uh, I'm not sure which song that is. It's a good one, though, yeah. God, yeah, no. It, it, the whole music in the show is great. But I feel like... Uh, Talking a little bit about Kirk Thornton, is Kirk Thornton is very soft-spoken, very honorable, noble warrior. But also, it's really fun watching him be the straight man in this comedy trio. Mm, yeah. There, there is, there, there is some bit where I don't, I have no recollection what episode this is, but there's like someone makes fun of him, and he just very tersely responds, "How rude!" And it's like. This is a good performance. I think I I that's that was that was the exact correct delivery of that line. Excellent. I think one of my favorite moments is like when when they are trying to uh, pawn stuff for a little bit, and they're like, "We need something valuable," <laughs> and then there's like, "Hey, yo, give us your swords!" Like, no, no, they're my swords. That episode was weird. That, that was, was really weird. It was, was a, a very episode. I'm sorry. I like that episode just because it's kind of absurd, but I just kind of like those moments where Jean's a little weird, but he's like, "But, but my swords though." And then, and then, and then, like they're doing the eating competition. He's one of the first ones oh. out, and then he's like, "You better fucking win my swords back." 
I apologize. I was thinking of the one where they pawned his glasses. Not oh, the contest, right. That was a good episode. That was a different Sorry. one. The one where they pawned yeah. his glasses, we get, to, we get, as we alluded to, Tony Oliver as Nagamatsu. Like, which... And you know, what that's, a... A really, that's a really good way to kind of segue into something I really like about a lot of the one-off episodes. They always start with one very innocuous thing happening that snowballs. Sort of like that, um, like the meme with the dominoes. Like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. it starts out with Gene pawning off his glasses. But then these people who have beef with him won't recognize him because he's not wearing glasses. For the entire episode until he gets them back. <laughs> Which is a pretty funny development, yeah. <laughs> Though, if you want to talk snowballs, let's talk, uh, Fu, Fu gets into a relationship with a young artist, leads to Pablo Picasso getting, uh, border, obtained at the border, uh, ukiyo-e painting of Fu's tits. I think you mean Van Gogh just what an interesting thing to say it's like oh hey they're like hey i'm going to i'm going to import to europe to study their art he was obtained at the border but one of the things they confiscated was a piece of art that pablo picasso came into his own and it was the painting of foos no it that wasn't he did. um like, it wasn't picasso it was um it was van, van gogh van gogh van gogh my bad my bad yeah. That is a different person in a different country. I am disappointing my father on that one. In a different time period. I am disappointing my father by making that uh, faux pas, for sure. The different amount of ears attached to his body. Yep. I, I'd it's still a good episode. Still, uh, your point comes across, though. You, you, <laughs> you were going somewhere. Please continue. Um, it's the developments of arcs or of episodes can go a lot of strange and wild directions and yeah but uh, yeah i think gene despite being a quiet stoic guy like he's got some really strong episodes of his own like i oh, think definitely. yeah the one with the one with him befriending the prostitute and helping her cross the river to like a shelter sanctuary for people that are forced into this life was a really nice episode also, I'm glad you mentioned the, them back to back. You mentioned the you mentioned the brothel girl episode, and you mentioned the the painting episode. Both the uh, episode directorial debuts of one Sayo Yamamoto. Yeah, yeah, those Great are man. both Sayo Yamamoto episodes, aren't they? Also, if I recall, yeah, the like um, the crazy zombie mushroom episode as well as hers. Also, yep. the tagging yep. episode. Don't bring that evil onto this. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yes, you did. No, 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 that that episode has zombies. Yes. Anime George Romero. Yes. Anime Tom Savini and anime John Carpenter. It is literally made for Ahmad, and he will not he will not I, hear like, any I, criticism. I I appreciate that trash horror movies are not something that interests you, and that is who that episode is for, and that is perfectly fine. Well, I, okay. I'm just gonna say there is an audience for it. It's just it's not it's not you. I, I, it's very small. That audience well, is not for Noah. It is absolutely for Amon. Well, just thank you to the creators for going back in time and inserting this random episode that doesn't fit with the rest of the show into the show so that Amon could enjoy it in 2005. Which, 
Oh, I probably enjoyed it at the time, Which, too. man, I remember you mentioning before I did my rewatch that Sayo Yamamoto did a few episodes. I literally just took a shot in the dark that she did the tagging episode because, A, the lines got a lot thicker and looked like the woman called Fujiko Mine, and, B, there was suddenly a lot more front-facing tit nudity in it. So I just assumed, okay, yeah, this is Sayo Yamamoto. And I was right! Oh, do, do we want to mention the other two, like, people who weren't names at this point who were on this show? Um, I, I think I saw Tensai Okamura is, like, a... Oh, I'm, I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking the two guys who made the opening. Oh, do yeah. tell! Uh, uh, shall we talk about the King of the Furries himself? <laughs> yeah, so, fun fact, if you watch this, that is directed by Mamoru Hosoda. What?! Yeah, at least at least yep. what at least two years out from Girl Who Leapt Through Time, like he was not a name when he no, made this. If I'm correct, no right? Shit. And there's, a reason, there's a reason for that. It's because th- this show, this whole production was done as the first series that Manglobe did. May they rest in peace. But that opening mm-hmm. was done by Madhouse, which of course Mamoru Hosoda was you mm-hmm. know, working at at the time. So that's why it it looks way more stylish than the rest of the show. And if you're wondering why why does everyone look so cool in the opening, it's because the animation was done by Takeshi Koke, several years out from Redline. No mm-hmm. fucking shit. The, I the, feel like he look, might have been in Wadanabe the middle of animating a... Redline because like that took him like seven years. Th- this show has maybe realized that Watanabe has such a good eye for talent. If this is the kind of people he's getting to work on, his the shows. the man like the man the man gets it. Shinichiro Watanabe is kind of one of those insane letting talent blossom into a bunch of weird creative shit. I think ever it's like let's let's put it like this. Like just in when you look at some of the things he went on to do and has done since, like. Look at Space Dandy. Space Dandy is effectively like an animation film festival of a bunch of cool friends and young, talented animators who would go on to really stretch their stuff. That is true. Mm-hmm. And it, it works in Space Dandy because it's entirely episodic, whereas in this show, the standalone episodes are very good. They, I, I just do feel they're a little weaker than the overall package, but that doesn't matter that, that, because... Obviously, the overall enjoyment of the show is more important than the package itself. And, you know... For sure. Coming back around to sort of the the bigger story arc episodes, um, I really kind of want to give props to the finale with Gene's arc, um, particularly with Mm -hmm. the performance of one Steve Kramer. Oh, yeah. as, um, As sort of... He was the friend... He was a friend of Jean's swordmaster, right? Who was supposed he, to inherit he, he is mm-hmm. He is basically the master... He is the second surviving master of the martial arts sword style that he is a master of. And he's basically the sellout compared to his master, who basically mm-hmm. just became a dog for his shogunate. Gotcha. But I, I really... Mm-hmm. I really love his dynamic with Kirk Thornton's, and it's just... Ah. See, see... That was my favorite part of that finale. I think I buy the true... The surviving master of the martial arts style that Gene had to face a lot more than the guys Boogan had to face. 
I, I don't know. I definitely buy Mugen would accidentally ruin someone's life and then just go years without realizing yeah. it. Yes, but... It, it makes, that that does feel like something he'd See, do. See, yes, but it's literally like, okay... Who, like, I literally just think of that one moment from, like, Avengers Endgame where it's like, you took everything from me, and Mugen's just like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> and it's like... Why Why was that one man just a fucking aquatic man? So so Dave, Derek Stephen Prince could do a really upsetting yeah. voice. I guess. Was that who that was? Oh yeah, that's Derek uh, Stephen See, Prince. that I believe. I believe. But it's like, there's that. I, I do believe that. The one guy with the eye patch who looks like a... They literally copy and pasted Dave Wittenberg's character from the first two episodes. And a guy in a wheelchair. You know... If you had told me that was the same guy from the first two episodes just kind of showing up again, I'd have believed you. See, isn't he he dead? He was, but he looks like, he aesthetically, he's almost got the exact same design, and I know because that wasn't Dave Wittenberg playing him. I'm pretty sure that was like, uh... Fucking... That's Doug Erholtz. Okay, yeah, Doug... Oh, yeah, 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 I hear it now. That, that... That did sound a little Polnareffy to me, now that I think about it. But yeah, it's, it's like... Mugen's final baddies were such nobodies. That almost feels... That, that, that's, that, that's the weird thing. That feels very appropriate. Like, I totally buy Jin's is part of this, like... This, like, deep connection to this school that was so important to him that he, he like, you know, had to leave and so on. And I totally buy that Mugen's is just, like... Mugen just had a weird shitty life where he did a lot of bad things and one of them finally came back to bite him I did ass. like the one development where it's like, oh, you pissed off the Shogunate and you had no idea you pissed off the Shogunate. It was just, mm. oh, hey, get out of my way, buddy. And then I said no, and then I cut him. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was very in character to me. Which... So anyway, I started blasting. This this Talisa can't stop me because I can't read. That... <laughs> I'll give you that visual. Give me that Arthur visual and put, put that line in there. Which I realize I realized watching this show again that Mugen is literally uh Jared, can you read that? No I cannot. What up? I'm Jared, I'm 19, and I never fucking learned how to read. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh god. How come you order just order the same things we can? I can't read the menu. That's no. That's also no. There we go. There, that's everything I need to know. <laughs> so, Kirk Thornton is great. Mm-hmm. He's great as as the more stoic samurai who's kind of trying to hold his abilities back. But I do kind of like seeing him be the cool cucumber samurai, but also the one that kind of gets his... He, he gets teased a lot, and I feel it works because of how stoic he is compared to no, Mugen, who is just... Mugen, who is just a fucking party animal, and like... And, like, Mugen's just a dork. Mugen's a virgin. That's it, what the deal is. It's 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 that bit from The Simpsons. The joke's only funny if the sap has dignity. <laughs> Mugen 
no dignity at all. Very proud of that fact. And like, Gene, immense dignity. Oh, I meant Gene is the dork. I'm that's sorry. Just, that's, Gene is the dork. That's, uh, yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> yes, but... Gene is the good boy dork. Mugen is a guy who is literally going to chase around a woman he doesn't know and walk into a giant massive crime scandal, all for the intention of getting some nookie. <laughs> His <laughs> words, not mine. No, that, that look, that, the, the localization here I think is very consistent. It's like, no, that is absolutely the word Mugen would use. Like, if Mugen were, look, if Mugen was... 17 in the early 2000s he would absolutely listen to Limp Bizkit let's not kid ourselves oh, Lordy. god yeah I can hear it but man that was just a whole fucking wow this wild madman just basically stopped an entire underground crime circuit because he really wanted to get some <sighs> this show's great and yeah the fact that that woman was Fujiko Mide made that extra funny <laughs> uh also we have gone almost an hour without really going into how incredible the checkpoint episode was. <laughs> so, folks, there's an episode. There's an episode told in flashback about a a, a checkpoint, and this 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 guard at the checkpoint talking about the one day that everyone was allowed to go. Free. Which the guard, old man version, played by um, William Frederick Knight, and young man version, played by Liam O'Brien. Uh, and it turns out the reason that happens is because a bunch of rebels who are trying to cause some trouble have a big stockpile of weed, and unfortunately the weed catches fire, <laughs> and everyone gets extremely high. And then you have this, like, 30-45 second Masaki Yuasa cut of just it's, it's moving such... going straight to the moon. Okay, that yep. was, like, even if I didn't know that was the Masaki Yuasa cut, I'm like, this is, this just feels like a Yuasa cut. <laughs> Even back then they knew <laughs> that man was going to do some weird they're, shit. They're just they're just let's see what what the fuck would he have even have made at this point in like 2009. I feel like he Not even 2009, 2004. Oh, yeah. Either he just had before. brain game probably. Either he was in the middle of producing or had just finished with um with Kaiba. Um, he definitely would have done, um, uh, shit, what's that movie called? Um, Mind Game. No, you know, you know what I'm gonna say Mind it's game. from? You know what I'm gonna say it's from? It's like, hey, he's that weird guy who does all that Shin-Chan stuff. Let's there get him, him in here, you he can do this. Yeah, he did do a bunch of Shin-Chan. I know the Super Shiro thing was a thing, or... Will, would be a thing. Would be a thing, yeah. Um, yeah, so, god, that episode was wild, and they're like, um, I hope, I hope he's not leafing us for dead. And then Gene's, Gene's <laughs> just like, mm. And then, like, all the while, I hope, I hope he hasn't abandoned us and he hasn't gotten captured by a bunch of warrior monks. Mm. <laughs> mm. I hope he's not tied up somewhere in a <laughs> warehouse. Mm. Mm. Which, that was, like, a great episode for Gene, just being, like, that, because they, they knew how to make Gene funny without making him, like, too much that he sucks. And then they go back to it in the recap episode. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, I was with, uh, with Fu, and she's just like, oh, yeah, I was trying to make small talk with Gene, but he would not open up to me. Hmm. 
Oh yeah. Also, the the recap episode, which is actually is one of the more famous recap episodes in anime. Yeah. Yeah, kudos to this show for having a recap episode that is actually pretty entertaining to watch in its own right. I would still say it is not the best recap episode I've ever seen. That honor still belongs to recreators. By the way, five second soapbox, somebody fucking license and dub recreators already for fuck's sake. What if, what if the guy who wrote Black Lagoon and the director of Fate Zero made their own Fate anime? Get to the back of the line, Andrew. We're still waiting on dubs for, uh, like, laid-back camp and place at the edge of the universe. Noah, I did not hear a single fucking thing you just said. You repeat that? Alright, let me try that more time. Can you hear yeah. me now? Yes. Okay. Oh, I said, you, you, there's a lot of shows that need to be dubbed, so you can get on that soapbox, but there are people with five other soapboxes saying the same thing right now. I've got, like, ten My soapboxes number... right behind me that I need to start stacking up, so... You guys have been keeping track of your soapboxes? It's all we can do. Dude, I got a warehouse of them. I just picked out ten. Anyway. Oh. Weed! Anyways. <laughs> weed, the weed. <laughs> you know, you know... I don't think I appreciate that it was weed, and it's like... Yeah, this show does have strong opinions, doesn't it? <laughs> they don't They don't <laughs> pick an old-timey drug that, like, no one really thinks about anymore. It's like, now nah, let's pick one that has a lot of charged political meaning in Japan. Like, there we go. And the United States, for that matter. It was, it was 2005, after all. Uh, you could still get arrested for this, yeah. This is true. So, yeah, they went with weed. And, yeah, that was... Okay, I, I feel like there's places I could go with that, so I'm gonna rain, rain this back, because I could go some places. Good boy. Indeed. Good boy. Uh, let's see. Do, do, do we have anything else specific we want to say about Gene? I just think he's neat. <laughs> he's swell. He's a swell guy. He's, he's and unlike Mookin, he might have killed a very important guy in his past, but, you know, we can't hold that against him. I like... I mean, who, no, who no, among no. us? Yeah. Who, yeah, it's not... That, I got a pile of corpses in my own backyard. It's not like it hasn't happened to anyone else. I've, I've killed an ant or two that could have gone on to be the final boss of a Hunter Hunter arc. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did the world a favor there. But you, wait, are you telling me Chimera ants features like actual ants? <laughs> I, assume, I assumed that was no. I don't know shit about Hunter Hunter, man. Like again, you can tell me anything. Everybody in that arc is technically an ant. Fine, whatever. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It. They are all ants. Shut the fuck up. They all are. Alright. Yes, even... You know, not, e the, not the weirdest thing I've seen in anime, so let's... Let, yeah, okay. Anyways, uh... I think Gene Swell... I think Kirk Thornton does a great job playing the much more stoic, calm, collected badass, while also managing to make him really funny and bounce off of the chaotic energy of the other two characters in his own stoic, amusing way. I still think the hardest laugh he gave me with just the end of that episode where Mugen failed to fuck Fuchiko Mine, and he's just like, oh, my back. <laughs> it, it, that's, I mean, that again, 
because Jean has dignity, him having sex with a bunch of women and then hurting himself in the process is very funny. Jean will... A- that's, that's hilarious. Here's the thing. Jean will work to please you. Mugen is gonna go for like 20 seconds and then go to sleep. I, I, that, that I feel like is the better distinction. Both of these men have had sex. One of them is clearly a lot better at it I than mean, the other. Andrew, let's be real. Oh, by far. Jean was able to make the beast with five backs. <laughs> Look... Gene, Gene can both give and receive. Mugen, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure Mugen cannot tell the difference between the V and the A. He's just like, oh, hey, two holes. Cool. It's like, all, just it's all about who... They make their uh, now kiss. Who is better at mastering their sword. Don't think I didn't catch that callback, motherfucker, Patrick. We ain't, we ain't bringing the cloacas into this shit, man. You know what we haven't talked about? Foo. Car- Car- yeah, Kari Walgren is foo. Let's- oh, she's, See, ab- I actually- she's absolutely fun here. I adore Kari Walgren as foo. I, like, I think she's probably... You know what? I'm gonna say it. I think Kari Walgren as Fu is the best performance in this dub. I would not disagree with that. I, I don't think fully she... agree with that, but I don't fully disagree with it either. I think Steve and Kirk are very strong, but I don't think they sell the show or the emotional core of the show. A lot of that goes to Fu. Foo is the glue that holds these two warriors from a di- different lives and past together on this weird little road trip journey. True. Um, yeah, I... You know, now that you mention that, I can absolutely see her as... It might sound a little weird when you think about the core, the presumed core audience of a show like Samurai Champloo, but... She feels Who's the main like character? the audience insert. Like, where you're supposed to put your attention into because, like, you know the most about her going into the show. She's also just kind of the everyman person. I mean, you find out more about her later, but you know enough about her when she meets Mugen and Jean that, like... That feels like the audience focal point. I mean, there is the like, continuous mystery about who, who the samurai is that she's trying to find, which I feel like everyone's got a mystery about them that you're trying to figure out. So I'm not sure if I'd agree with that statement entirely, but I, I do agree that she is the focal point of the show. She, at the very least, is the one at the start who has an objective. Right. I all... As opposed to Mugen and Jean, who are just kind of drifting. I also think she's a very interesting character, and I feel like even when she gets herself in messes, she has enough agency and stake to get out of those messes. Like, I, I don't think she is a very passive character, or like when she is a damsel. She never feels hopeless. Like, she will put up a fight... She will throw a fucking vase at a guy that's trying to fuck her because he's really into girls that look at him like he's disgusting. 
What, what am I? What am I? Shame your kink. <laughs> one of one of the highlights of the early part of the show for me is in I think it's Hellhounds for Hire, the first two-parter, where that's that's the that's the one with like um in the second episode where like she has to be the dice roller at the end and she is just thrown into it and she immediately it's like all right this is what I got oh do. that oh I thought you were talking about yeah. like the first two episodes which was another interesting one but yeah, yeah. I forgot I mean look her her climbing up on the roof and chucking bombs at people is also very oh cool. her oh, yeah. I love her booby bobs. <laughs> I love just the but, the image of just her running with just the flapping bombs. It's like the big that is the most tit animation in all of Samurai Shampoo, and they were implants. And it's like also the whole thing with her and um, Ezra Wise is the artist in episode five. Mm. That was another fun oh, yeah. one, yeah. Mm. Which also props to a character on the side of that episode, um, Rokishi, the um, the shogi player, played by Robert <laughs> Axelrod. Where it's just like <laughs> he's so he doesn't want to lose. He doesn't want to lose this game, and then like <laughs> the entire episode, he's playing this game of shogi with Gene, and this whole caper is going on in the background. And then he was the and true then, boss! And then after everybody's been caught and the plot has been discovered, he's just like, oh, yeah, you got me. I'm the mastermind behind it all. <laughs> that was such a good punchline. It's like this dude that Gene has been... Gene is not a factor in this episode because he's playing Shogi with this random guy. And then he was the mastermind. And he's like, well, finish my game. Take me away. And since, and since we are talking about that episode, I'd be remiss... To not mention Michael McConaughey as Monzo the Star. I love Michael McConaughey's voice. He, he is so he's he just hits that perfect blend of being so serious. It is the most hysterical thing you've ever seen. Like it is. You know, we made he's so good. we made references to Lupin and Fujiko earlier in this. He's Zenigata. This guy's a Zenigata. <laughs> He's absolutely yes. Zenigata, but I feel like a little more competent than Zenigata because he actually gets some cases. He's the one who actually catches somebody. He's he's both more competent and also way more of like just the most absurd person you've ever met. Like he bump he bumbles it, his way into solving these cases. He's he's more like a Mr. Magoo than he is like a Zenigata. <laughs> 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 Fucking Mr. Magoo. That's a deep cut. Mr. Peru is Ugh. Mr. Magoo. God, I've seen that but, movie kill me. No, but I, I, I love... Said, though, I, I'm really glad that they, they don't overuse him. It's like, they bring him back in every couple episodes, like, just at the point that you're forgetting that he's there, you, you bring him back at just the perfect moment for it to be funny again. Hmm... So yeah, but no, I I love Michael McConaughey's voice in particular. He's got he's actually plays like one or two other characters, but he's just got like a really fun, commanding voice that can also be really silly and impressive with Monzo, and I think that's a ton of fun. Oh, it's it's it. I don't think it's a coincidence that Monzo is like the one dude who gets to show up. He's also kind of the narrator, sort of. 
if it's not, I don't, like, I don't, yeah, like, I don't know if it's supposed to be Monzu, but at the very least, it's like, Michael, you have a great voice. Will you play the narrator? Uh, yeah. Just say, just shout say, out, say, say, like. <laughs> yeah, with, by the way, shout out to uh, the, the, the midpoint episode, the recap episode, where we get to hear him sing. <laughs> Our people are traveling across the land. They have gone through trials and tribulations. Now they're going to stop here for a little bit. Oh, the, the when et he's cetera, like, cetera, cetera, oh cetera. yeah, when the, he's just doing the recap and he's like singing like a verse, and then you have like the the scratch on on the record. Oh god, what what is that? Style? <laughs> the frog, the frog scratch. Um, Freestyle? No, no, no. The that that was a style of of music. Um, I'll think. Of oh, it you, later. oh, in actual. Um, and we haven't even talked about, like, that one episode where there's just a bunch of, like, freestyler guys that just come out of nowhere. <laughs> what, the lumberjacks who just rap at them about what's going on? Yeah. I wish I could have written <laughs> oh, down some of their verses. touch on that a little bit, but not, like... Which, actually, that is a really good Foo episode, too. Um... That also is a really good Foo episode, because she almost dies. That's true. She, she almost becomes the um, the Spike Spiegel in that situation. Like, remember in the movie, Spike Spiegel is rescued from near death by Native Americans, just in the same way that Fu was in this episode. I was... So, I wasn't going to say... I wasn't sure what he was supposed to be, but my immediate thought after watching a bunch of Kamoi is he kind of seemed like an Ainu guy to me. He Maybe. is an Ainu. Might... The outfit, the... It might be. No, he I... absolutely I... is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely, like, which, which from I feel... the, the Japanese government were not nice to the, the uh, yeah, I can't pronounce it right. They were not nice to them at all in this time period. Which, which feels appropriate, because one of the things that uh, I did in between the last time I watched this show and now is I started playing the Yakuza games. And a thing Good those choice. games draw, and, and the thing those games draw in on is, from what I understand, is something that's true with the Yakuza in real life, which is that, hey, are you a person who Japanese society by and large does not like? Are say, is one of your parents not Japanese? Are you from an ethnic minority that doesn't get a lot of respect? Mainstream society will give you grief about that. The Yakuza will not. They don't care. Really. And. Yeah, like, if I was reading, like, this isn't in the game, I was reading an article that was talking about, like, there are a lot of, like, Japanese-Korean people who end up drifting towards, like, organized crime in that fashion, because, like, they're the fact that they're half-Korean does not fucking matter. And the fact that a lot of the people here are, like, Mugen, who's the son of criminals, and if not black-coated, I, I, like, I also know, I, my impression is, like, uh, to bring back Okinawa, people in o like the people on Okinawa are kind of like their own distinct like ethnic minority, independent from like kind of like what we think of as Japanese people, uh, and that is often a source of conflict. And I, I I sort of wondered like if that's playing into it, and like having a guy who's Ainu who very famously were like actively suppressed by the Japanese like government and society large for generations. Like that all makes sense. There's a lot of people who are like these are the people who don't get respect in you know. Christians in Edo, Japan. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. we do not want you there. Like, I I, I think they're draw very much drawing lines between all these, like, uh, entities who, like, do not, are not, are not allowed to fit in 
mainstream society. It's basically showing a lot of em empathy to the people who have been beating down by Japanese society and kind of belittling and mocking, like, the people who are in charge, like, the shogunate in the state. Which, mm -hmm. that's fucking dope! And also, wanted to give a shout-out to the native, presumably Ainu man, who, in both English and Japanese... Bringing back the Lupin references is Daisuke Jigen. Really? How about In that? Japanese, he is Akio Otsuka, who, as of part six of Lupin, is the new voice of Daisuke Jigen after his old one finally retired after a good 50 years. And in English, he's Richard Epcar, the modern-day uh, Tony Oliver S. Company's crew of Daisuke Jigen. There you go. And he was cool. That is great. You, I, I, I am. I think I was a little surprised that, like, uh, given that they clearly take advantage of, um, was like, you know, certain actors will show up repeatedly in here. I was a little surprised that uh, Richard Epcar only showed up the yeah. once, but like, yeah, they gave him a good role. And I, I thought it was a great character and like an interesting story because they're like, oh. This dude killed it. Like, it was a bunch of rumors that kind of went around because of, like, what they assumed he was, that he was a savage. And he's like, no, he was a dude whose fa whole village and family were wiped out because a bunch of colonizers brought a plague and their solution to the plague was to kill everybody. <laughs> How very Columbus of you. I mean, it worked. I know. Yeah, I... I do have to, um, like, that is my one big gripe with the dub of the show is that a lot of actors just reprise and reprise and reprise. Um, I don't, I, I, I get the, I don't hold that Sorry, yeah. too much against it though, because like it is mid two thousands and like, right. A at lot of these characters are one offs. Yeah. Right at that cusp yeah. of like, we're really starting to see like the expansion unionized of the... dubs and. Like, actors with mm -hmm. kind of mixed status and all that, so. Yeah, I, I, I kind of got the assumption there's a lot of, like, we're bringing you in for these one, like, one or two bigger roles, but also could you just fill out, like, these random yeah. people while you're here? Like, yeah, but we'll tack an extra hour on, you'll get a little paid a little more. You know, while <laughs> we're on this subject of people I'm surprised did not show up in the dub more, I'm going to swing mm -hmm. this back to probably one of my favorite Foo episodes, which is the one with mm -hmm. Shinsuke. Which, I, I, I don't want to play the card of bringing this back to Cowboy Bebop, but that episode with Shinsuke was like the most I directly paralleled Bebop because that reminded me a lot of Walt for Venus. Of a good kid doing the wrong things for a noble reason, but is still doing the wrong things that ends with his untimely demise. Yeah. Mm. You're not the first person to make that parallel. I'm the first but person to do it on, on that. I'm the first person to do it on the Dub Talk podcast on recording, so I can <laughs> play the card and say, I was the first to thought of that. I'm a genius. My brain is huge. <laughs> okay. I mean, it worked I, in I, that show, too, and it's like, well, don't break it, don't yeah, don't break what's not broken. But yeah, legitimately, like, I think that's a great Foo episode because she's kind of just in this in circumstance 
and kind of starts to empathize a lot with him and his mother and the circumstances they're in and is trying to help him get out before it's too late and then he just just meets his it just luck finally catches up to him and like how you see like she's trying how she gonna break that to his poor mother and she's just kind of like he's never coming back is he yeah i kind of figured he was a heartbreaker it it hurts but he did a lot of bad things it felt like inevitable and that's that hurts damn that 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 was a rough one but i think that was a great episode as well as like Fu, both Fu in that, I think Fu is great because I think as the audience surrogate, she is the most down to earth, empathetic person with a lot of the regular people and their struggles and the lives and hands that they have been dealt. Yeah, I feel like if Kari Walgren mm-hmm. weren't able to tap into the, sort of the empathy of Fu, um, this would have been a much weaker dub. Yeah, I, I, I think a, I think a thing that really helps both this dub and this show is I think they 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 are very good at they did a good job I think in both directing and casting a lot of these. So like, you know, you take you take episode seven here. It's like you know for what you know they for, you know we need we need to buy what what is going on between Fu and Shinsuke for the episode to work, and it helps that like you know. Fu's being played by Kari Walgan, Shinsuke's being played by Johnny and Bosch. Even then, these are two very talented actors, but I think they did a good job of making them play off each other really well. They connect really quickly, and it's and like they they they're they're very cognizant of the fact of like this this pairing needs to work, or the episode's just gonna be trash. Yeah. It's gonna be like, why did we spend twenty minutes watching this? I think uh, well, I can't really think of any pairings in any of the episodes where it felt off. Like, everybody had no. the right level of empathy uh, from, like, the one-shot characters <laughs> contrasting with the, you know, our main trio that I, it never felt off, I don't think. No, I, I think the show consistently does a very good job of introducing the one-off characters, making you, you know, in the you know in the more dramatic episodes, at least, making you care about them. Like, it does a very good job of, like, for how big this cast is, I think it does an excellent job of making all those episodes feel like holes and like you know self-contained like stories that you can i also just think in general that i feel like foo is the people person that gets to really just identify with a lot of these different characters and also Mm -hmm. having different dynamics than these characters would have with characters like mugen and gene i think the biggest example i'd say to compare is with a character you know all three have interacted with and that i'm gonna go with uh sarah who absolutely wonderful tragic character uh a blind shamisen player traveling the countryside who is secretly a government assassin who they're using the fact that they stole her son as leverage to get what she want what they want from her and she has a very different dynamic not only with with Jean not only with Fu but also with Mugen which I think if Mugen was ever going to actually get some, it, it probably would have been her. Mugen, I think, makes it clear that much like Spike Spiegel, he loves a woman who can kick his he ass. Wa- he will. He wants to quote one Gianni Matragrano, who has a very convincing Spike Spiegel. He wants a woman who will just actually fucking kill him. 
Yeah, pretty. I like this is the most like sort of tragic and literal example of that. It's like, yes, yeah, she can, but not in the fun way. And, and <laughs> just in the. And he was actually upset because he was like, dude, dude, you could have offed me. Why didn't you off me? And she was like, I, I care about you, you fool. And then. Just the, like I said, I, I also love that, that the use of Million Ways to Drum and him throwing her spear is such a great end of that episode. I'm like, oh, that hurts so good. But yeah, no, I think Fu has a great dynamic with Sarah as well because she is kind of the more plucky, younger, wor worldly travel girl. And Sarah is somebody who's a lot older, wiser, who has been broken and is not sure what she's really living for and trying to fight for anymore. Because, yeah, if you're you're going into the whole subject of people who have been mistreated, yeah, she's a blind woman who had a child, and the child was forced to go with the father because society deemed they're not going to leave a child in the hands of a blind woman. Are you fucking crazy? And then just took her kid away. Yep. Mm -hmm. Shit's rough. Oh, we haven't even talked into how they... Talk about organized religion taking advantage of people who have been mistreated and beaten and then using them for their own financial gain. Mm -hmm. And that goes into... Well, that's an old thing. That that doesn't Yuri? happen anymore, thankfully. I... Is it Yuri? Was that the character? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that's right. Kate Higgins. Uh, okay. Jesus Christ, that episode was... Wow, did that go places. This is this show is not afraid to speak its mind. And yeah, Fu Fu kind of being the one to be like, "Don't do it. Speak your mind. Do what you want. You don't have to listen to this man who is trying to take advantage of all these people." Like, she, like she's kind of the one that sort of convinces Yuri to speak out and like do her thing. And then you find out about the plight of the underground Christians. To which there's also a great moment in that episode where they have like the stomping stone test, mm -hmm. which. I love Mugen, who's being like, why do I got to step on it? Because we want to make sure you're not Christian. Well, I mean, you're telling me to do it, so I'm not going to step on it. And then, and, and then, <laughs> and then, and then Gene's like, well, just fucking step on it and, and just then don't step on it again. Well, now you're telling me, now I want to step on it. And they're like, stop fucking with us, man. It's like, no, I do what I want. <laughs> Look, I do, I do not like authority in general. It does not matter whose authority it is. I despise all of it. I don't care who's right or wrong. The only thing I know is I'm going to do what I want. So if I want to step on this stone, that's my choice. But if I don't want to step on this stone, that's also my choice. You want the drink. I don't want the drink. You do. I don't. Oh, you do. I don't. You do. I don't. You don't. I do. You don't. I do. You don't. <laughs> when I say I do, I do. Bottoms up. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but, so yeah, there's oh, a lot of, of, uh, I'm trying to think. Are there any one-off episodes ahead. we haven't tackled yet? Because I, I do want to talk a little more about Kari. Uh, the baseball but I'm trying episode? To think. Oh my god, the how have we episode. not talked about the baseball episode yet? Fuck. Which is, I, I feel like we should, we should finish... We, I feel like we should finish yeah. with Kari first and then talk about yeah, the baseball episode. Yeah, the baseball episode, episode because... deserves a conversation in and of itself. I, but yeah, I think the point I'm making reasons. is Kari is charming. She is fun. She is cute. 
she is spunky, she is feisty, and she is the emotional epicenter for everything in the show. She is the central goal of the show. She is the moral compass that keeps both Mugen and Jean together when they otherwise wouldn't have. She is the most empathetic character to all the people in the show, and I think she has the most understanding and interesting interactions with a lot of the cast of the show in general. And I think she's a really welcome... She's a really welcome, necessary addition to a show like this. Almost to the point I would argue that Fu is the main character and the heart of Samurai Champloo. And absolutely, for sure, Kari Walgrim's wonderful performance to me is the highlight of the entire dub. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Now let's talk about some fucking baseball. Yeah, let's go with some fucking baseball. <laughs> More fucking baseball. <laughs> Steph just got home. So for so for those of you who haven't seen this show yet, one, what are you doing to yourself? Stop, stop depriving yourself. But towards the end, in fact, right. This is the funny episode right before shit gets real. And this is the one after the zombie meteor episode, too. Yes. So so they're like, okay, we need something a little... We need something silly, but maybe a bit more down to earth. So, basically, uh, Mugen tries to dine and dash, and he gets caught, but the owner will let him off the hook... If he helps him in a baseball game, he's playing a bunch against a bunch of Americans who showed up and are threatening the town. Which, what when I say this show, when I say this episode is art, I mean that in the most <laughs> sincere possible fashion. It, I love this. Episode. It is delightfully silly. Okay, so like we've got a whole we've got a catalog I think, full of anime look, shows with a baseball episode. This tops them all. I think. I, I think I to say this is most, probably one of the most iconic episodes. Yeah. The thing I love the most about the Samurai Champloo baseball episode is that, like, when the Americans are speaking, you clearly see the Japanese subtitles underneath, so you know <laughs> in the Japanese yep. version they are speaking <laughs> English. Um, so or English. The American actors are just hamming Very it up so English. much. It is just magnificent. It, it It's very funny watching a show that obviously draws a lot from American culture, but very specifically African-American culture, and then being like, but don't get us wrong, a lot of Americans I suck. think the difference is... And they are <laughs> terrible. Here's the difference. They're not making fun of, like, African-American culture or, like, a lot yeah, of yeah. interesting European cultures. This is an episode that's making fun of white people. No, this this is very much like oh. think of the most stereotypical ugly American you can think of. That is who this show. Which, that is what this is taking. Oh, I want to share an imperialistic anic- white people. Imperialist white oh, people yeah. is a very good way to play because they are very racist. They call them savages very openly. Like it goes hard, and they meant to make these guys look like assholes. To which. I want to share an anecdote of the one time I did watch this show because I did watch this when this was on Toonami a few years years ago. One of my favorite fucking conversations with the most unbelievably irate person I've ever had the pleasure of talking about things with on the internet. 
He said that this episode was racist to Americans. Which, I'm gonna be honest, is one of the funniest things he's ever said, but somehow still not the dumbest thing I've ever heard him say. This is maybe top three, though. Okay. And Would I you like to make... guess what top one is? I need to make one addendum to what I said earlier, um, where it was, was kind of funny mm-hmm. that, that it still had the Japanese credits underneath when the Americans were speaking. Because um, the other thing that I found absolutely hilarious is Samurai Champloo has, if I was paying the correct amount of attention, precisely one F-bomb in the entire thing. And it was said by one of the Americans. It was said by, like, the (laughs) Commodore, who flipped them off and said, FUCK THEM! And very easy to understand English. But, But they had to make them very full and vulgar and... God, that episode was a trip. And that's also where Monzo the Saw comes back, gets roped into an episode, and scores a home run with his club that looks very dildo-ish. Oh, that is a very phallic uh. sword. It was I think it's meant to be like a club, but it it's basically it's but basically that- like the Japanese equivalent of a dildo bat from Saints Row. Would would you would you would you like a would you like a funny bit of trivia about this? I would like a funny bit of trivia. So so as far so the the two Americans, not Americans as far as I can tell, ever went to Japan, but they are two real people. Uh they are they are weirdly enough two guys who are often credited with inventing baseball despite the fact that that is not true and at least one instance he never actually claimed that. People just claimed it after the fact. Mm. I don't I don't know if that second part was known at the time, but I do find it very funny. Okay, so that there's actually people who went uh, Americans who went to Japan before Commodore Perry in the 1800s. I, and actually... No, the, no, no. Like, but like Abner Doubleday is a real person who is often credited as being the oh, inventor right, of right. baseball, which he's not. Um, right. No, that. Which, and apparently, you... uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. There's a there's an episode of this cartoon uh, Teacher's Pet that fully uh, addressed that, and that was the first time I learned. Oh, so people who get credit for things aren't always the people who actually invented the thing. That's true. Um, I just find that funny, just, like, I also find it funny because it's like, oh, these guys are, these, the other big difference that happened is that since last time I watched this, I started watching secret base videos, so oh, when, yeah. uh, they're doing, like, the, the silhouettes of people, it's like, ah, it's Ichiro! <laughs> I know that now! Because <laughs> I don't follow fucking baseball, I don't know who Ichiro is other than it's some guy, but now I know! It's funny. <laughs> um... This episode's such a delight, I almost don't know what to add. Like, okay. <laughs> I know you said in the, um, in the Sunny Boy episode that you would have absolutely loved to have seen a secret base episode of the, uh, of the Monkey Baseball. Oh my god, I would... This! If the, I would fucking die. I would, I would drop dead of joy. <laughs> like... <laughs> Actually so, trying to so, break down the kill counts of Mugen and Jigen and how that might affect their baseball <laughs> abilities. So so can we give can we give a shout out to a real MVP? The dog. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't anything I'm not seeing anything in the rule book that says a dog can't. So it can play baseball. So it can play. He's just holding the bat like a good boy, and that filthy American pig. 
had to go and play dirty. And then they were playing very dirty, and then they just they were just beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> See, you, Brass you, you already knew it's a beanball. You already knew that the Americans. You, you already knew the Americans were bad, but that one would throw would inten- would intentionally hit a dog is like, I hear yep, electric. Chair. You're a sociopath. <laughs> you you are all none of you are free of sin. You know, it's really sad, I, isn't it that. In the show where so many people die, they don't. They're the ones who make it out alive. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But then you don't get that great shot of Mugen standing, standing on the cliff, watching them leave with half his face swollen up, <laughs> and then yelling at Monzo to shut the fuck up. Why do you keep showing up here? Go that away. was pretty good. Yeah. Which also, I love how he does. Like the breakdance pitch, and then it just fucking backfires. <laughs> Absolute garbage. It's like you 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 let him walk. You were trying to be cool. You let him walk, and now you're discombobulated. You played yourself, buddy. <laughs> oh. Also, before I forget, I want to give immense credit to Dave Wittenberg for that for the ninja amazing guy. accent that amazing accent he gives Kagimaru like just beautiful like, oh god okay. I, Dave Wittenberg is so good it's good I like hearing retro things where he's in them and oh he's so fucking okay good. hilarious observation here um mm-hmm. Dave Wittenberg's accent is clearly a little more Bostonian than New York mm-hmm. um and he's talking shit about Yankees I mean, yeah, <laughs> not, not, does not feel, do does not feel like an accident. Right? Oh God. What was the thing that the, that Monzo said when he was trying to pretend to be American? I'm an American Yankee doodle. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, fucking brilliant. It's like a fucking Looney Tunes episode in here. I wouldn't be surprised Absolute. if that was like directly ported over from the Japanese version. Like it was just the same Noah, do, saying that in very broken English. Noah, do you recall what I, what the subtitles were for that bit? I don't. I don't. It wasn't much changed. I but I don't think it was the original Japanese audio. I, I do think that he uh, they had the American oh, yeah. voice actor for that bit. But I no, I don't think they changed the um, the uh, the original uh, line very much in there, and they didn't need to because it was already it's, hilarious. It's so good. Yankee Doodle. <laughs> so actually, I just, I just realized. Do you want to know the only place where they retained the Japanese audio uh, and did not dub it at all? Uh, where's, where's that? that? It's, a, it's a long show. Sorry. Um, the scene uh with the the Dutch guy when he's uh reintroduced oh, with yeah. uh, his his other um crewmates and stuff. When they were actually speaking, speaking in Dutch. Yeah, that part. If you. Exactly, and so it's we're not listening to um, um, American voice actors try to speak Dutch. We're listening to actual Japanese speakers speak Dutch, <laughs> and I, I, I like that. I like that they didn't even bother to try to uh, have the American voice actors dub that over. Interesting, but it's just like Michael McConaughey is the voice of Charles Goddamn V Britannia. And they paid him to say, I'm an American <laughs> Yankee Doodle. God bless. Any, that was the whole, God that was bless. The whole show was made. 
Michael Cuddy has one of those great voices, which means if you give him good funny material, it is that much funnier. Mm. Oh. I think the Amer- the uh, English voice actors for that baseball episode were having a little too much fun as well, because uh, as uh, unfortunately there there were a few bit of slurs in there that we will not repeat here. It's, yeah. It's, probably uh something that would not have been retained if uh was dubbed in today's society i'm gonna take a wild guess probably 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 not for this show no unless it was very specifically mandated by the licensor to do it yeah weirder things have happened for less that's true it's like no, I'm no. The Americans are real pieces of shit. You have to, you have to emphasize. Anyways, that. let's sell this to the American yeah. audience, F- where I still think very vividly about that man who said this was racist to Americans on the internet, which, <laughs> which was a real so, conversation I have had. He was being genuine, and this is the same person who honestly thought that Black Butler was ripping off the WWE because of the character Undertaker, not knowing that Undertaker was a real-life profession. I'm not even just mad. I'm just disappointed. That's an oh-honey moment. I've met some characters on the internet, my friends. Oh, boy. It's a great place, isn't it? Yeah, it's cool. But now, now I got some cool people. There's some cool people. A couple of them I talk about on a stupid podcast. I don't know. Dub talk, whatever. Yeah, They're okay, I guess. Ah, I love you fuckers. <laughs> this, has been, this has been a fun one. Oh, yeah. Uh, are, is there, are there any other episodes or performances that we want to highlight? Uh, go down Dave, Dave Wittenberg as an actor should should do more things he he's good and um yeah i agree i agree to that paul st peter uh, doing like a fake dutch accent is just chef kiss i also want to give a shout out to william frederick knight who like even 20 25 years ago was still doing the old man voice and now he's like 88 I, I credit with and he's credits. also in very funny Netflix comedy shows with um, yeah. Oh with, God, what's his name? Uh, Tim Ro- Tim Robinson. Yeah. He yeah, does. He not, was in a he, very great episode of I Think You Should Leave. He does not look like he is in his eighties. He is age remarkable. Good. Well. Like he still looks old, but like not eighties old. I, I'm just literally looking at some of the stuff. Oh shit, he's Donzo in Naruto. Oh yeah. God, there's some pieces of shit in Naruto. That, that dude's up there. And at least he doesn't get redeemed. He, he gets offed by somebody who does get redeemed later. Naruto's wild. Alright, well. We should do that I'm all set okay. with characters I wanted to talk about. We don't have... We don't have the time or patience to sit down to do... What? 500 episodes of shipping in and like... 220 of... OG Naruto. Yeah, fuck no. Not that's with that attitude. Like years of research. <laughs> coming, coming soon. The first dub talk miniseries. Oh fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Let me at least do something no. better. I like Naruto. I don't 
do a dub talk episode on it like Naruto. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be. Fair I'm not to those putting myself through that kind of hell. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, it's very long. Um, yeah, I don't. Also, I also don't have any other um, episodes or characters to go over. I think we covered basically all of them. Um, no, I'll just I think we touched on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll close off by saying that I didn't really get to say about Fu's um, Japanese actress. Sounds very similar to her um, English voice actor. Sounds very similar to Kari. So for for both Jin and Fu, they seem to try to match the pitch and delivery of the Japanese seiyu with the English one as well, while still making it sound natural. So I commend them for doing that. Especially because, uh, as kind of mentioned before, this was early in Kari's career, so she hadn't, you know, she didn't have, she, she already demonstrated she had immense talent at a very early part of her career, so that definitely deserves commendability. Mm. And also repeating everything that these guys already said about how she holds the show together, she's the spirit of the show, she's got a cute squirrel that needs to be in the show more often, that <laughs> is why the show is good. <laughs> Oh, by the way, I love the end of the tagging episode where she literally thinks that, like, two guys are fighting over her. And then it's like, no, they wanted to pet the cute squirrel. That was a good, that was a good punchline. <laughs> I, 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 just to cap off talking about Kari as well, uh, in the, the last few years I've watched um, this, Fulikuli, and Last Exile. And it, it's definitely struck me, because, like, I'm a, I'm, you know, Kari's a good actress, I already know that, but it sort of struck me how, like, what, how good and how nice a range she already had, even, like, relatively early in her career. Like, she she was doing really good work from pretty much off the bat, and I'm I'm happy that she's just, like, succeeded so much. I don't know, it's nice. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's, ni it's, it's nice to see somebody who you've just seen for almost the entire time they've been a public figure just keep getting better. It's nice. For sure. Yeah. yeah. She's, also, she's also the king of Camelot. Yes. Ah, uh, fate. Fate, fate, fate. And, the, and then she, you're going to ask, she... which one? And I just yeah. say, we don't have time. Yes. Uh, we, we, ain't got, we, ain't, we really ain't got time for that. <laughs> uh, in that case, gentlemen, let's, uh, let's, I mean, I think we, we've kind of, we've given our opinions. Let's, let's let us wrap us up for our, for our final thoughts before we get to other logistics. Uh, sure. Andrew, would you, you want to start us off? Um... This was a very fun show that I had remembered way, way less of than I thought. So, a lot of this rewatch kind of felt like watching a show for the first time with, like, a few of the beats I was familiar with. But, like, a lot of this I really did not remember. I think this is... In some ways, it is a little better and a little worse than I remember it. I think the main plot intrigue episodes are this are some of them are pretty weak but i think a lot of the episodes that are based around care the characters in interesting scenarios with interesting stories and characters i also think a lot of the fun episodes are way funner than in general and this is a pretty good dub with a couple of pretty standout performances in general but man the soundtrack of this is untouchable. It's it's good, good shit. And honestly, I'm just glad I got to talk about this one again and get a chance to talk about the fact that man, Nujibis, rest in peace, my dude. You did the good shit. Mm -hmm. 
was this was a fun this was a fun show to revisit. Thanks for having me, Amon. Happy oh, yeah. Merry Birthmas, my friend. Thank you. Uh, who wants to go next? Um, yeah, I'll go next. Sure. Um, this is a really interesting show to revisit. Um, like probably most of us here, I caught it in the original Adult Swim run, so. I didn't quite as remember as much of it as I thought I did, like Andrew. Um, but coming back to it, like, 20 years later, it's just, like, I had forgotten how just pitch perfect that dub is. And... Ha! Ah, like a baseball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just the entire structure of the show is just... Like, I miss that. I miss, like, two core, almost completely episodic... Just characters shooting the shit. Road trip movies. Or er, shows. Yeah. Yeah, road... Uh, like, the kind of road trip shows that you can more or less watch episodes out of order, and it's just, like, you're completely fine. Like on broadcast television. <laughs> Rest in peace. I do have, hey. I, I have one question, though, because you guys said that some of you actually caught this on the Adult Swim block. Did they... How did they get around the foul language for broadcast? Did they bleep it or mute um, it? Record or scratches. Yeah, the, the oh. rec yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I think I think I think because it was on late enough, some of it could like fly by itself. I think they usually just basically yeah, they basically just bleeped out anything they couldn't um, have on there. Gotcha. Which I actually, for the longest time, thought that was just how it was until I <laughs> until I popped in the Blu-rays. It, if you're going to do that, version? that is the that is the correct way. Uh, I. Who had who has old TiVo recordings? We can we can find. <laughs> and I mean, I, I even had the DVDs for a time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But it, this was a really pleasant show, and like the core cast of three, I don't think you could have replaced any of them. Mm. Um, they just work together against each other so well. So yeah, absolute thumbs up here. What's that? Uh, yeah, Noah? Uh, um, I'm going to be slightly dissenting on this. Um, I, uh, not necessarily on v views of the dub, because, yes, if you're going to dub this particular show, which is set in old world Japan, but is coded with a whole lot of modern anachronistic language and topics, then yes, this is how you dub it. Uh, I'm going to be less complimentary in the fact that I'm not entirely sure what version of this I'd recommend to someone to watch. Like, yes, the dub is very good, but there I feel like there's some parts that do get lost in the translation for it not being Japanese uh, dialogue that goes with a lot of the things that you kind of have to know a little bit about Japan's history or wordplay to get a little bit. There's a bit in, um, was it the, the scene with the counterfeiting people? They find some gold coins... And there's a like a nice back and forth where um, Mugen says like we've hit pot jack jackpot whatever we're gonna be filthy bitches you mean filthy rich uh, and that's not what was in the original they did translate it but it's just little things like that and knowing about the background about what was going on in Japan at the time that 
does feel like you need to know a little bit more about that world to understand it entirely. But I don't think that many people needed that. As evidenced by my three gentlemen here, they enjoyed the show just fine with just the way that it was in the dub. So for that sense, I can say it's as good as it could possibly be. And I as, you know, Watch it both ways. <laughs> you can't. That's true. You could do both. Watch it twice. So, Gene did. Yeah. Gene did both. <laughs> well said. And Mugen didn't. Because Mugen's a fucking virgin. I'm going to stand by that. No. <laughs> right in the comments, do you think Mugen got it or not? Can Mugen get it? If that starts a flame war, I'm going to laugh my ass off. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, th this was an interesting thing to to kind of revisit. Uh, like Andrew, I had seen this um, actually very recently. I saw it for the first time like in 2020 or 2019, I can't remember, and remembered very little. Or remembered not as much of it as I feel like I should have. And that's why I really wanted to give this a revisit and did like it more upon a rewatch, I think. Still has its weak points with the writing, but honestly, we're here to talk about the dub. The dub itself is top tier and not really something that I think could have been done by another group, other actors, any other way. It, it's good. It's good dub. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. I think this is a really well put together dub. Uh, I really enjoy this show, like, at... In one of those weird ways where I, a part of it is like, okay, do I like this because it, it fits a lot of my tastes? Or is it because I watched this when I was young and a lot of my tastes were influenced by watching this? One so doesn't the, contradict the other, just saying. No, it, it does not, no. Um, but I like, I, this is a fun show. I, I think a road trip movie is a is a good comparison to the point where... Um, in the little introduction, in the little in the episode where like the introduction is him singing the song, kind of talking about their journey, I, I did like that there are a lot of like dots on their journey that aren't co don't correspond to episodes, and it's like, it, who knows what adventures they got up to that we didn't see? Like, this is kind of what's great about it. Um, what I think it actually reminds me of more is there's a writer I like named Nathan Rabin, and he has a thing that he'll talk about sometimes called the Hangout movie. Which is a movie you like to put on just because, darn it, you just kind of like hanging out with the characters. They're just fun to be around. Yeah. And that real that's really what this feels like. It's just, you'd like, you like, you know, you, you get these three, you just kind of like having them around. They're just fun. It's a nice time. Can you give time. examples of what he considered a hangout movie? Uh, yes, not ones I can think of off the top of my head, but usually ones where it's like you know. I mean, my brain, you my brain, a really good one up right before the episode started recording. Uh, Buckaroo Banzai in the fifth dimension. Yeah. Across I, the eighth dimension. I, yeah, across the eighth dimension. Okay, I'm. I'm. See, my my brain immediately goes to something like a John Hughes movie, notably like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and The Breakfast Club. I, I, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I think in particular, would not be a bad example of that. It's like you you like you like again. Hey, two guys and a girl, right? Same setup. You like hanging out <laughs> with them. I also rewatched that recently while I had a Valentine's date in the city with Steph, and it was just on TV, and we basically just watched the whole movie. And yeah, that, that that's a pretty fun movie. Oh, that's cute. You watch a Chicago movie while in New York? That takes balls, man. Okay. I wasn't I wasn't eating the pizza like a fucking sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that's what's gonna start the flame war. 
look, uh, look. One of my favorite John Stewart bits is still the whole thing where it's like, look, I want to get dr- if I want to get drunk and like shove my face in my food, I don't want to fucking drown in it. Don't get me started. I could do the whole thing from start to finish. Oh, it's so good. Anyways, continue. Yes, uh, this, this is a great hangout show. It's the kind of thing where even if you don't want to watch it front to back, this is absolutely a show where you can just throw on an episode and it's like, yeah, this is a good time. I'm having a lot of fun watching this. And I, and I appreciate that. I think that's, that is a kind of show that I think has largely vanished as of late. And it's just fun coming back around to one that, like, you can just, you just kind of hop in and out as you want, and that's fine. The show the show still works. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, this is like one of the first things that Manglobe worked on. Uh, and we're sad to have seen them gone. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just, ni- it's just nice revisiting that. They were a good studio while they were around, and it's, uh, it's a shame that even if part of them still lives on in um, Studio Genos, is that what it's called? Uh, stu- yeah. Studio yeah. Geno, yeah. Which... Yeah, Geno. Which... Golden Cowboy. Yeah, and so you know they 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 are continuing in some fashion, but it's a little shame that that original iteration is kind of lost and gone. But they left us find some good work, so that's okay. Yeah, in case you want some other good recommendations, uh, Michiko and Hotchins, another really good one. Um, the world God only knows. Did they do multiple seasons? They did of world do God that. Only they yeah, they did world God only. Knows. World God only knows and the LVAs. Huh. Yep. And and I I know uh, this I, might be. I know this might be a little controversial since we're probably not going to get more of it. I don't care. What we got of Gangster was great. Thank and do you. not let its un- do not let its unfinishedness deter you. It is still a great ride, even if we never get anything else. Like that was that was a. If that had to be their final note, that was a good final note. For oh, me. that last episode hurts me. <sighs> it's a bummer, but at least it at least it is depressingly reflective of where the manga actually is. Anyways, fair enough, but yeah. Yeah, but um, thank you for listening, folks. We are Dub Talk. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, which is where you're probably listening to us now. Uh, wait, sorry, do we have anything else we want to say? Or are we good? I think we're good. All right. Uh, you can listen to us on YouTube, where you're probably listening to us now. We are on various pod- we're on Podbean and other various podcast platforms. You can listen to us there. We are also on Twitter. We have a Twitch stream, which uh, several of us play video games on. I'm currently playing Grim Vandangle because I'm horribly predictable. You know what you're about. You like you like weird old stuff and skeletons. And apparently things with Michael Sorek, I found out he's a character in that. Really? Yeah, he, oh, play, nice. he, play, he plays your shitty boss. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I, I, cannot, I cannot recall off the top of my head what Andrew and roots are playing feel free to plug yourselves uh when you're when you come around to you uh yeah. before we get to that though uh uh we also have a patreon uh where you can help give us money to help make the podcast we very much appreciate it uh if you do you'll get early access to episodes and fun features like that and if you uh contribute at a high enough level you'll get your name read out on the podcast so for example if you are at the five dollar tier you'll get your name read out here so thank you to michelle travis Nika Robin, but with Yowie Hands and Victor Vemoroda for your contribution. We really appreciate it. And if you're at the $10 tier, you can get your name read out here, such as like uh, Anthony Brown, Carly Lestikow, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, Jared Hawkins, Julia W., Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony do. Thank you all so much. We really appreciate that you're willing to help us make this silly thing. Y'all are beautiful nice people, and we thank you for sticking around. 
Indeed. And uh, gentlemen, please tell us, where do you want to be found on the internet? Hi there, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. You can find me over on Twitter at Mangaban9000. And if you like hearing the sound of my voice and making dumb, obnoxious jokes, um, you can find me over on Surreal Resolutions Anime Podcast ONA, where we talk about the latest anime news alongside our fellow podcast dub talk co-host, Jet. All right, Patrick. Yeah, um... Hi, I'm Patrick, a.k.a. Roots of Justice. You can find me on the Twitter.com, at Roots of Justice. Mainly retweet cute animal pics, talk general fandom stuff. You should come on by. Have a good time. Um, I stream on DubTalk's Twitch channel every Saturday at 5 o'clock Eastern. Um, right now, I am playing a really delightful early access Steam game known as Have a Nice Death. Uh, you play a little Grim Reaper, and you go through a little roguelike world. It's great. Um, blog stuff is also actually forthcoming. I, I like, actually have stuff ready to go. Hoorah! I just need to finish it. Um, and now, here we go with um, Patrick's Cool Thing of the Day, where I tell you about a cool thing I found today. Alright. Uh, and this time I'm not going to I don't have to step into the you know, step on Amon's toes with this one. Like I did with like I had to do with Tokyo Revengers. Um this one's a game. Um one that I actually thought about streaming, but like I'm actually having a good time with Have a Nice Death, so maybe like on my personal channel. Uh, it's called Vampire Survivors. Uh, it's a very simple game. All you have to do is move in specific directions. You fire projectiles out in all directions at monsters. They mob you. It's hard. It's fun. You are going to pull out hair. <laughs> and it's like three bucks on Steam, so have at it. Cool. I'm all set. Cool. All right. All right, uh, Noah? I don't really know what to add because I've never heard of a video game in my life. So all these things these people have been mentioning, I have no, I have no idea what they're talking about. It's a don't your children play video, video games? They play Minecraft. That's still a Minecraft. video game. It is, but you're not going to watch it. Well, I, actually, I take it back. You will watch people play Minecraft on Twitch. Just probably not the way that we do it. So, And I, I don't really play it either, so that's the extent of my knowledge of video games at the moment all right also roots also before i plug myself speaking of minecraft stuff roots you owe me a night of sleep you know why uh-oh what i do you because okay i was perfectly fine not having seen the backrooms short film <laughs> before you had to retweet that into my timeline and that was in the middle of the night i had to turn on all my lights i couldn't get to sleep for an hour why did you have to forward that to me Unintentionally. Because <laughs> it's good. It's like a 16-year-old playing with Blender. Like, how is that I, I, not awesome? It's See, awesome, but it's I can't sleep now, because now I'm scared of going into anywhere with anything slightly like liminal space. See, I'm, I, I would make fun of you, but I had a little bit of that experience recently watching, like, the April Fool's Adult Swim thing where they had the Learning with Pippi takeover. And I had a couple I moments where it was mm. dark. I was like, oh, shit, uh, I'm a little uncomfortable right now. Anyways, it is canon that Joe Para is uncorruptible. I believe that. <laughs> yeah, I believe as that. it should be. 
it's it's good to have that confirmed. But anyways, so yeah, I don't do anything with video games, but you can follow me on Twitter at NoahClue if your fancy is more of the animation discussions. We got a whole ongoing discourse right now about uh, animation being underrepresented or underappreciated at the Oscars. You better believe that I had words about that. Really, really needs to stop being uh, relegated to it's fairy tales and we had to listen to Encanto a million times a day. I did have to listen to Encanto a million times because of my kids, but I watch more cartoons than just that, people. Well said. I mean, literally, a couple days after the Oscars, Shudder literally fucking announced they picked up Mad God. That they did. Which I, I'm looking forward to that because the, the bits I've seen of it look amazing. Also, speaking of animation, Aman, you you neglected to tell people where they can watch Champloo if by any oh, right. measure they haven't well, seen it yet. Well, thank you. Well, if, right now you can still watch it on Funimation's channel, but who knows how long that's going for. Thankfully, it is part of the bunch of stuff that has already made its way to Crunchyroll, so you can watch it there. It is as far as it's still readily available on Blu-ray. I just ordered my own copy last week. Uh, so you have you have your options. This is not one I see going away anytime soon. It is it is of quality and has prestige behind it and so on. Uh, so yeah, it's funny because we we had that brief period where Cowboy Bebop was out of print and inaccessible anywhere, and yet for some reason Champloo has always been accessible since it first got printed. It, 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 I think it falls in that weird category where it is it is well-liked, but it does not have the cultural baggage of Cowboy Bebop, which also just means less people are going to be fighting over it at any given time. That's a good point. Uh, I was honestly surprised that the, the music has had no problems in being reissued. Like, there's been no Oasis refuses to let us use the opening more than once issues with the music. We've gotten it uncut every time. As far as I know, all the music was composed for the show, except for the... I think the, the ending song in the last episode is a pre-existing song, but everything else was made for the oh. show, which I'm sure makes it much, much easier to deal with that kind yeah, of Yeah, it feels like everything that there's exists a, for the show is for the show. There's one more... Um, at the end of um, the episode with... Um, oh, God, was it? The, the one with... Uh, the... Uh, uh, you... Um, What's the name of the native people of Japan? I don't want to mispronounce it. Ainu. Ainu. The Ainu, thank you. Yeah, in the Ainu um, episode, uh, he's playing the sh a song on the shamisan that is actually uh, recording by an act uh, a singer who passed away during production. They used her song in that episode, and they give her a shout-out at the end of the episode. I took a shout-out. Oh, is that who that was? Oh, yeah, cool. it's like um, something huh. Akada, I think, was her name. I know, I yeah, know what you're talking was, about. Uh, Re yeah, so that, that yeah, was one of the cool. ones that wasn't made for the show. But yeah, I think you're right. Besides a couple of examples, most of it were for this production. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and anything that wasn't was probably just like a one-off. Mm -hmm. Okay, Which makes it right. much easier. Yeah. I'll say this. There's one person I really want to talk about the music in the show, and that's you, Amon. Oh, yeah. So I'm Amon. You can find me on Twitter at AmonDuelUS, where I talk about stuff. But I like talking about music. Uh, and I'm going to be really upfront with you. There are two reasons I want to do this episode. The secondary reason was the episode that you just listened to, but the main reason was this. Editor, can you, uh, can you take the soundtrack down and put on something a little more appropriate? Thank you. So, so as we mentioned earlier, the music here is great. It's a, it's a Watanabe production. The music is fantastic. And, uh... The, the OST, I actually think, sounds very cohesive for something that was ultimately made by four distinct individuals, as 
Andrew mentioned earlier, you have Tsuchi, who's a member of a hip-hop group called Shaka Zombie, who apparently, he's like a friend of Watanabe's, apparently, and that's part of the reason he was working on this show. Uh, you also have Fat John, who I think is from Philadelphia, I think, maybe. Um, he probably was a fan of Watanabe's. He actually cried when he got invited to, like, work on this, which I think is... Yo, good for him! Sweet. Yeah, no, good, no, that, that rocks, like, good for him. That's a, that's an appropriate response. Yeah, I'd, I'd cry. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's Fortune Nature, who are a production duo. They're all great. But I want to talk about the last guy for a little bit. <laughs> there's a guy named Jun Seba. He was born in uh, Nishi Azubu, which is a district in Tokyo. He was born February 7th, 1974. I would love to give you some kind of, like, fun factoid about his youth, but as far as I can tell, there's not a lot written about him prior to him getting known as a music producer in the very late 90s. I can tell you apparently the first thing he ever put out that wasn't like a mixtape was a bootleg remix of a Nas song, and that, I, that's fun. Nice. Um, however, by the time he got known, he was, he was he did pretty well for himself. He had started an independent label called Hideout Productions. He owned a couple of record stores that were known as like the underground places to buy hip-hop, like underground hip-hop stuff in Tokyo. Um, he was good. He was cup and coming. He was producing stuff for people. Um... And he just wanted to have a name for himself, because, you know, it's the 90s. You don't put your own name on stuff. That You don't do, use your government name for your music. That's silly. Um, <laughs> you know, what self-respecting rapper does that? Now they do it, not then. Uh, so, all right, he needs a pseudonym. Well, he's decided, well, I'll just take the syllables of my name and spin them around. And that's how we get Nujibes. Is that what Nujibes is? Yeah, John, John Seba is Nujibes backwards. Oh my god. <laughs> yep, that's it. All he Real needed was an X, and then he could have been a member of Organization 13. God damn it. <laughs> now that's a deep cut. Now, the, talking about Nujibes kind of feels hard in this day and age, because he is his, his, his legend is so great. He's such a wonderful depths craftsman. He's so good at like integrating samples and making these just wonderful wistful melancholic songs uh they're they're, they're so full of emotion but still relaxing um but I, I he i think is very important to the sound of this show even if like proportionally i think he does like he doesn't he does not do the majority of the music uh Tsuchi, i think probably has like pound for pound the most music but he's very important case in point the first thing you hear in this show is battle cry by shingo 2 that is built on a new Javez beat the last thing you hear for most of the episodes is she. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's a very good opening. That's a hijacked my own segment. Way more in the show itself. Um, and the thing you hear in the last thing you hear in most episodes is Shiki no Uta by Minmei. Which is also built on a new Java's beat, so his his sound I think is very critical to why the show sounds like that. Uh, my actual understanding is when Watanabe was thinking about the whole like you know I want to do something in feudal Japan but with hip hop, new Java's was the first thing that popped into his head as far as what that should sound like. Um, and you know obviously he's he's big you know as we brought up earlier he's one of the lo-fi hip hop guys. He's one of the dudes who like even if he doesn't show up on that lo-fi hip hop channel on YouTube that often that that is the like the aesthetic they're going for is one he helped create. Um and I actually thought like one of the things I I thought stood out about the show when I was watching it on Adult Swim is a little like about a year before this they started their their aesthetic started to change and this that started to be the period where you know in between shows, you wouldn't just get, like, the white text on black background bumpers. You'd also get the, like, 
shots of Tokyo at night with, like, you know, hip-hop beats and electronica music underneath. And Samurai Champloo, at least as far as the Saturday Night Lamp goes, felt like the first show where, like, the aesthetic of the block had a show that matched its aesthetic. Which I always, I always felt that felt very cosmically appropriate that like those change, like that change and that show coming out would happen so close to each other. Um, and it continue to retain that gets, keeps that kind of counterculture uh, identity even into the present day. As long as Jason DeMarco is running that thing, he will use music from Stone's Throw, who I believe are also based in Georgia. So, like, yeah, definitely. Um, at the very least, he's a big fan. So, um, now I can recommend. I'm not gonna basically recommend anything New Java's worked on. Uh, he he did a lot of good stuff, but the one I'm gonna focus in on was something he actually did with Shingo too, the rapper on Battle Cry. Uh, they basically started collaborating apparently just because New Java's sent Shingo to an email and said like, "Hey, you seem cool. You want to work on something together?" Because this is like the early 2000s. That's how you communicated, I guess. That checks out. Uh, they oh, met you up. They didn't IM each other on AOL chats. I guess not. Maybe I. Maybe I, I, did, did AOL catch on in Japan? Noah, you questions for another. Congratulations, time. Noah. You now sound older than Amon. Good job. <laughs> how, um, how do I put my floppy disk into this laptop? So they, uh, they, they met. Uh, you know, New Java's played Chingo to some of his beats, and he, he honed in on one that he thought sounded really good. Uh, it's sort of a it's built around a nice melodic melancholic jazz piano line and like a little bit of a Richard Pryor routine and he had made this beat for someone else but Shingo 2 convinced him to let him use it and that turned into a song called Love Sick spelled L-U-V parentheses S-I-C yes! parentheses oh uh, which god that's... if you've if you've heard this song it is basically Shingo 2 singing about hip hop and how important hip hop is to him uh, and this ended up becoming a series they did they followed it up with Love Sick Part 2 and Love Sick Part 3 in 2002 and 2003. Uh, and they were good there. And Shingo 2 thought they were dumb, but Nujava suggested, no, we should do more of these. These are good. And so Shingo 2 was like, okay, if you come up with three more beats that inspire me, I will do three more parts. Guess what he did? Yeah, well, he made a Part 4, which came out in 2011, and he made a Part 5 that came out in 2012. And here's where we get to the sad part of the story. Oh. Oh. On February 26, 2010, New Javas is involved in a traffic accident on the Shido Expressway and passes away. Mm-hmm. Now, when this by by the time this had happened, the beats for four and five had been made. They didn't get released until later, but they had been made. Part six is a mystery. New Javas is kind of a perfectionist. He rarely shared work that he was working on before he thought it was done. So, as far as Jingo Two knew, that was it. Except. A couple years later, or I forget how long, but like a little bit later, he's visiting a record store and he meets with the manager of Hideout Productions, who informs him that after the accident, they recovered Nujava's cell phone. There was an audio file on that cell phone, entitled Love Sick Grand Finale. No way. Oh God. <laughs> and he played it for him, and it's like, this is it. And they like, you know, tweaked a little bit to, to give it that... Last Edge, he made a song for it, and on February 26, 2013, the third anniversary of Nujava's passing, it gets released. 
So listen to everything yeah. he did, but I, that's that's the one I'm going to recommend for this episode. I actually didn't know about the the story of that final part. That's now that's 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 a lot, right? That, yeah, that is so way better one... than like we went through his deleted demos or something like that. That is a gift right there. Nope, abs- one last masterpiece from Beyond the Veil. That's that's incredible. That's incredible. Wow. So listen to that. That but... should have been an episode. Yeah, right. So listen to that, but say, like, you you're, you are weebs out there listening. You may well know New Javas already. You may want something else. Well, you may, you may, maybe, maybe you decide, no, you know what? I want a different guy who revolutionized rap music, who was taken to us far too far, and was also born on February 7th, 1974. And, well, guess what? There's two of them. What? <laughs> on that same day. Not no, we 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 step away from Japan for now. We are going to Detroit, Michigan. We're on that same day, February seventh, nineteen seventy four. A man is born named James Dewitt Yancey. James Dewitt Yancey. He's the son of like an opera singer and a R and B singer. He's a talented guy. His big break basically comes in the nineties when a friend of his uh, gets into me Q tip of a tribe called Quest. Who hears some of his beats and it's like, oh, we I need to work with this guy immediately. Uh, and so he does, and he starts becoming a big-name producer. He works with people like The Far Side and De La Soul and Janet Jackson. Uh, he starts becoming a name for himself. He actually starts getting a little tired of the fact that uh, he's part of a production collective with Q-Tip and a few other people. And he starts getting a little tired of the fact that Q-Tip keeps getting the credit for his beats because it's just credited to the production crew. So he starts breaking out on his own. He has his own group called Slum Village. He eventually starts going solo, and for this part, he's usually Where been going I under heard the name... This? He's going under the name JD. But when he releases his first solo album, he decides he's going to switch up his name a little. And he starts calling himself J Dilla. Oh, no. Yes, okay. so this is, this is where I inform you that J Dilla and Ujabas were literally born on the same day. Get the fuck out. So if you, if, if you like rap music, you probably knew exactly where this is going because J Dilla is a fucking god at this point. He is an astonishingly talented man uh, who... Just amazing production work. I certainly know that, like, the first time I heard a Jay Dilla song, I didn't know it was a Jay Dilla song, but I absolutely remember hearing waves from Donuts on Adult Swim Saturday nights and thinking, man, this is great. I wonder what this song is. This is amazing. And years later being like, oh. And it samples one of my favorite bands, so, like, that's great. Um, but as I alluded to earlier, unfortunately... Yeah. This has a sad ending as well. Mm. Uh, in the early 2000s, he, Jay Dilla is uh, diagnosed with lupus and a rare blood disease called thrombotic... I'm not going to try and pronounce that. It's too long, but... Rare blood... It's rough, basically. Rare blood disease. Rare blood disease. He spends much of 2005 in the hospital. But Dilla he was, has such astonishing work ethic that they're still putting out material by him now. Uh, you know, like, I'm not going to sit on my laurels. I'm going to record. He makes an album that ultimately has 31 tracks on it. 29 of those are made in that hospital bed with a portable record player and his preferred sampler, which is solid, but from my understanding is pretty basic by the standards of what uh, actual hip-hop producers use. Um, But he makes it. It's completed. It gets delayed a little bit because uh, his label label believes in it. Their distributor thinks, come on, this thing's going to sell 10,000 units? Please. They're wrong on that point, but we'll get to that. But it does mean that on February 7th, 2016, his 32nd birthday, his album Donuts gets to come out. Donuts is a masterwork. If you've not heard Donuts, 
stop listening to this, go listen to Donuts. It'll take you about 50 minutes and your life will be better for it. Okay, see ya. Un- unfortunately, uh, it is wonderful. It's it's such a wonderful mix of just hip-hop, electronica, weird classical music, rock songs, there's advertising jingles, there's everything in there. It is amazing. Um... Dilla, sadly, got to live long enough to see that, but three days later, he unfortunately passed away of everything that was happening to him. Um, but he's a he is a great guy. As far as I know, I don't think New Javas and Dilla are ever particularly aware of each other. I, I could buy New Javas at least maybe knew of Dilla, since I think even at the time, his legacy was kind of on the rise. But they always feel kind of connected in my mind. It's just these two dudes who, like, really made this wonderful, distinct kind of music. Um, we're really taken to us far too early, so mm-hmm. go out, listen to both their stuff. They are well worth getting to know. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Anyways. Thank you for that, right. Amon. That was great. No problem. That is our show. Thank you for listening. Uh, check out Samurai Shamflu, check out Jay Dilla, check out Njavas. You'll you won't you'll thank yourself for it. And with that, we bid you adieu. Rock on Boston. Rock over, rock on Chicago, rock over Boston. Good night, everybody. Otaku on that daba. Rest, rest in peace, Nujibes and Jay Dilla. R.I.P. All the leaders sunshine. Not so many.